using free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Wednesday, the 5th of January, year of our Lord, 2022, day 664 of the emergency. You know, yesterday I talked about the insurance executive who looked at the data, and I'm going to play for you a clip today because as I also talked a great deal yesterday about the mass formation, psychosis, and other issues behind this, this insurance executive is perhaps one of the best examples of how even a numbers guy can be misled by his biases. Stay with us. We'll be right back. some very important updates on legal cases about these mandates. And I've had some people ask me some questions about when I, when I talked about the decision that was made, actually it was at, uh, is back in November, and it really hasn't been reported on much. Uh, and that was the case with the military where the judge said, there is a legal distinction between Corminati and these Pfizer BioNTech emergency use authorizations. And uh, <clears throat> they're not the same thing. And you have not approved uh, this. And if it is not approved, there's a big difference. Again, when we talk about these subtle differences, these people understand this. The judge understands it. The FDA understands it. Pfizer understands it. There's a lot of confusion even today as we... Uh, look at the um, reports about the FDA uh, authorizing. That's the way most people get that right. But the public doesn't really understand the difference. And some writers don't understand the difference of the FDA authorizing the Pfizer jab for kids down to 16 years old. Uh, some of them are reporting that they approved it. And that is a big difference. It sounds the same to us, but it is a legal term. And these people are playing legal games with the difference between authorized and approved. Authorized is for emergency stuff. And you cannot, if it's for an emergency, and if it hasn't been properly tested, you cannot require people to take it. There are laws against that, laws against the federal government doing that, and against private companies doing that. If it is approved, that means that it's gone through the entire process. And so uh, that that... Uh, judge shut that down. And so I'm going to talk about another case that everybody is talking about. And that is the one where the Navy SEALs have now, and both of these are federal district judges. And in the case of the Navy SEALs, there is an injunction 
uh, about this. And so that is going to have a big effect as well. So I want to get into that. I want to go back and uh, talk about this bombshell information that came out. And what I think is equally bombshell is the guy that gave us this information, totally blind to the points that I made yesterday. I, I thought it was kind of strange that he did make those cases. But then if you look at the, and I'll play you the the actual Zoom clip where he's talking about this. Uh, he is looking at these numbers, saying these people, these excess deaths that we're seeing that are just off the charts, uh, more than three sigma out. And of course, uh, if you get three um, standard deviations from the mean away from uh, a, a, a something happening that is three standard deviations away from the mean, that means that uh, you're talking about something that has less than a quarter of a percent chance of happening. That's why they talk about the three sigma events, because when you look at that probability, that encompasses 99.75%, actually 99.74% of the possibilities that can happen. And so if you get beyond three sigma, you're talking about something that is extremely, 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 extremely rare. But um, <clears throat> even as he looked at that and talked about how big that was and even said, these people are not dying of COVID, not even with COVID, but I think they are. So he knows more, you know, e even if these, and we've seen this game played for the longest time, that they would go in and attribute COVID as a cause of death. That was a situation at the very beginning. Yeah, they had people who were at or beyond the life expectancy for their particular country. They had between two and three comorbidities. And yet when they died, it was just attributed to COVID. Uh, it wasn't anything else. And so this guy, even when the medical profession doesn't attribute it to COVID, he does. And then he makes some amazing statements. So he's a very good example of how people have been mind controlled with this. Uh, but I want to uh, start with the headline news and with some um, correspondence that I got from people. Uh, this is um, from an individual who, I, he might be with uh, the georgemuller.org uh, website, uh, but uh, or he may have just been telling me about it. Uh, but um, there is a free PDF of George Mueller's autobiography at georgemuller.org. Now, the, those of you who've just started listening to the program on Rockfed may not really understand what I'm talking about. And I have said that I think the book uh, that you ought to take a look at as a Christian, other than the Bible, of course, you know, make sure you don't uh, ignore that. But if you want to look at somebody's life as they were going through economic hardship and depending on God to provide, George Mueller's autobiography, and this is a guy who I think he lived into his 90s. He had a very long life. And he kept a very detailed autobiography about how he stepped out in faith without telling people that he needed any money, even though he didn't have any. He started caring for orphans in the middle of the 1800s in, in the UK when that was a, a real pandemic. And uh, they would have situations where they had absolutely no money at all to feed the kids. And then you would have a milk truck break down in front of their... <laughs> in front of their home uh, or the orphanage. And then uh, at the same time, uh, a guy 
comes in and says um, he has probably problems with delivery of uh, bread or whatever and gives them bread. Things like that. Amazing things would happen where checks would come in at just the right time. Uh, so <clears throat> it's a, he wrote that because he said, I wanted people to know that God is still involved in our lives. And so I said, this is the book that you need to take a look at in 2022 because uh, a lot of people are going to be facing this type of thing. And uh, even if you're not a Christian, you should see how God works in people's lives. It might help you to understand that. I also have an email here from uh, someone who is in Thailand who found us on Rockfin. And he said, um, uh, if I'm on your channel at Rockfin and I click subscribe, will you get the full sum of money? Uh, they, it's a monthly fee of $9.99 to subscribe to Rockfin. And once you do that, you can watch not just my stuff, but you can watch uh, anything that is premium. So the broadcast is free Monday through Friday. Then we're going to have a uh, question-answer uh, live on Saturday, a two-hour show with that. That'll be primarily that. It'll have some other things in it as well. Uh, but that's um, something that I know people like to do. They ask me anything. Well, they can ask me anything live uh, as part of that. Now, that's different than tips. Tips you know, at uh, Rockfin, tips other than commission, you know, and of course, uh, you know, you understand that they need to uh, pay for the service that they provide. You see the same type of thing with Subscribestar and Cash App. They charge a commission. Uh, places that don't charge a commission, you know, if you send a check or if you send um, uh, Bitcoin or even money through Zelle, but a lot of people can't do that with a banking system. And so uh, with Subscribestar Cash App and with the tips from uh, Rockfin, uh, then there's a little bit of a commission there. Uh, but it's not unreasonable. And uh, when it comes to the subscription, that works a little bit differently. Uh, and it's a, kind of a complicated formula that I don't completely understand either. <laughs> but the bottom line is you make a little bit more money if people subscribe through your channel. But people who are already subscribers to Rockfin will be able to see my content on Saturday as well. So uh, that's, I hope that helps. And thank you for asking, uh, Charlie. Appreciate that. Charlie in Thailand. And then I had talked about Scott Jensen. Uh, I played a, a clip of his, he was doing house calls. It was like, what doctors do house calls? He has faced multiple attacks to have his license taken away because he's spoken the truth about this pandemic from the very beginning. He was one of the first physicians to question what was being done with the declarations of death. You know, people dying with COVID or are they dying from COVID? Are there any autopsies that are being done? And so he called him out on that. And he's been out uh, up front about uh, talking about other treatments and um, about the control, the political control that's being exercised with the medical industry and that, that type of thing. And then I had, so I talked about that. I praised him highly for what he had done with COVID. And I had some listeners come in and say, uh, no, he's... He supports gun control. He's worked with um, a Bloomberg organization to put some of that through. And they actually said he'd, he'd sponsored a bill. They sent me an email saying, well, actually, we looked, he didn't sponsor, but he, he voted for it. Now, I've got this. This is the other side. And, um, and I mentioned this because it's not that we have that many people that are uh, in um, Minnesota, but uh, this is the type of decisions that we need to make. When you vote for people, you're never going to find anybody that agrees with you on everything. But but here's a person who disagrees that he is for gun control. Uh, of course, you can check the record yourself if you're there. 
Uh, he says, Scott Jensen does support the right to own guns. He himself has a gun. I believe Scott Jensen, in one of his own videos, made the comment because folks are trying to lie about that fact. So, again, competing claims about whether he, how he has voted on gun control issues. He says, uh, I can't speak to what Jensen did when he was in office years ago because I didn't follow him that much at the time. Uh, but he said, um, as for me, I'm going to totally support and vote for this Christian freedom-loving man. Did you know that he didn't run for a second term when he was in office because his wife was fighting cancer and he wanted to be with her to support her? His decision to run for governor was decided by his wife and himself. I've been to one of his campaign fundings. I think that's what they're called, events, and this man is genuine. Hope you'll give him uh, give an update on him based on this email. That's totally up to you, of course. I, I want to give that information to people, but you do your own research, and you can look at people's records. Uh, that You can find that online to see how people have voted if they've been in office on various issues. What I think is interesting about this, let's say that this is true. Let's say that Scott Jensen has been soft at best on, on uh, supporting the Second Amendment if he doesn't outright oppose it. I would look at this and say, you know, uh, okay, that's a big issue to me. It really is. I'm not saying it's a secondary issue. But I would look at this and say, I've got a lot of people, maybe, in Minnesota. I would have to look at that and see. And again, I don't know the situation in Minnesota. I don't live there. But you have to, I think you would have to look at this and say, how's the legislature shaping up? You know, how firm are these other people on the Second Amendment? Could I do without his support on the Second Amendment if I had his support on this one issue that nobody else is really solid on? And so these are the kinds of judgment decisions that we all have to make in whatever state we live in. So you can investigate people's uh, voting records and determine that for yourself. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, uh, I'm not here to cheerlead any individual I'm here to cheerlead particular issues. And I think when we look at these issues, very important but competing issues, you know, we have to look at these things and we're never going to find somebody that agrees with us pretty much on all of these issues. Maybe there are some candidates uh, in Minnesota that are solid on both of these issues. Uh, but, um, you know, that's the type of thing that you have to look at. If there aren't, then you look at this and you say, well, okay, uh, again, are, are there going to be other people that, I could use to block that particular issue and then use him to champion liberty during this pandemic. Why RFK Jr.'s latest book did not hit number one. I'm going to have uh, an interview that I air tomorrow with RFK Jr. Uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to him this afternoon. That was uh, when he could schedule it about this book, The Real Anthony Fauci. And uh, it was kind of interesting because it, it has been <laughs> number one on Amazon for quite some time. And Amazon, of course, will affect the rankings somehow uh, on some of the lesser-known titles. Maybe they didn't do that on the RFK Jr. book, but certainly the New York Times did. And as childrenshealthdefense.org points out, you probably thought the New York Times bestsellers list reflected sales, right? You would think that, right? <laughs> if they call it the bestsellers list, but it's really not what it is. Uh, they're really talking about their proprietary algorithm, as they call it. In other words, the New York Times bestsellers list is really the New York Times favorite books. <laughs> That's what it really is. And, and they love Fauci. And they don't like a book that exposes him. Uh, so as they say right up front, 
on this article from childrenshealthdefense.org. It is an engine, the New York Times bestsellers list, is an engine of censorship, corruption, and misinformation. How do we know this? Can a book outsell every other book in the U.S. and not be the number one New York Times bestseller? Yes. Is that a form of censorship? Yep. The New York Times reportedly bases a book's position on its bestseller list on what it calls its proprietary algorithm. And, of course, we've seen that type of, uh, that term of art that's used by Google to hide things. (laughs) Google is a search engine that has now been designed to hide things. It was a search engine that was a very good search engine, and they got so good that they got good at hiding things. Anyway, back to uh, the New York Times bestseller list. What if a Barnes & Noble decides to buy very few copies of a book based on its subject matter? And what if some independents, some independent bookstores, exhibit similar bias by boycotting the book, refusing to carry it, and telling customers that they won't even special order the book? Well, that's what happened in the case of RFK Jr.'s real Anthony Fauci. Barnes & Noble purchased an unusually small quantity, and they kept the book invisible in most of their stores. Independent booksellers, such as the San Francisco-based City Lights, don't even list the book on their website. And they tell customers they don't carry the book. And if the customers ask them to special order it, they refuse. (laughs) Because, you know, this is, uh, they should rename themselves, uh, the San Francisco City Lights should rename themselves Fahrenheit 451. (laughs) That's what they should really call their bookstore. They're book burners, not sellers. Uh, Their decisions have nothing to do with customer demand or customer interest in the book. And so I'm going to talk to uh, RFK Jr. later this afternoon. Uh, it's a great book. It's an amazing book. As they point out, it's got more than 2,000 citations and references. Uh, it is a massive book, and everything is footnoted. As a matter of fact, they even go another step. At the end of each chapter, there is a QR code that links to a website that has updates, critiques, and new information to keep you updated. So it is a wealth of information, and it's not simply focused on Anthony Fauci. And that's one of the things I'm going to be talking to him about today as well. It's very broad in its perspective. Uh, yes, Fauci has been the point man in all of this, and he has been the guy, the leader, that everybody has turned to and focused upon and worshipped as an idol. But it is far broader than that. And so he also gets into some of the tactics and the uh, techniques that they have used to essentially run a coup on us. And it's kind of interesting to watch how this has evolved. You have people like um, uh, Robert Malone, as well as Anthony Fauci, as well as a lot of these other doctors and epidemiologists who are opposing this based on their profession to begin with. And um, now they really understand the political consequences of this. And now they're focusing on that as well, because this is full-spectrum tyranny. We'll take a quick break. And, uh, oh, let me just say this. There's one more stat that I'll give you about the RFK Jr. book. Uh, The week that Kennedy's book was ranked number seven on the New York Times bestseller list, it sold more than 92,000 hardcover copies. That's four and a half times as many copies as two of the books ranked ahead of it. And it's more than double the average of all the books that ranked ahead of it. So, you know, uh, bestseller? No, just like many other things with the New York Times, 
and ain't what they say it is. We'll be right back. saying um, that uh, things are not as they seem. When we look at the New York Times bestseller list, and I was talking about how uh, RFK Jr. and all these people now see the political perspective in this. They see how the lies, first they saw the lies within their profession, and now they see how this fits into the bigger conspiracy. And I said on the Monday after the emergency declaration by President Trump on that Friday the 13th, March the 13th, 2020. Uh, I had been talking, anticipating this. I knew where this was going to lead. And uh, I was furious on that following Monday. But let me uh, play for you something that I had to say about the goals and the political agenda, March the 16th, 2020. There may be a lot more to this than meets the eye. I think that this is really more about the economics and the politics and the liberty issues than it is about the disease. And even if there is a disease, even if it is a weaponized disease at the center of it, you better make it about freedom first and understand how your freedom is under attack economically, politically, and all of this. That is their agenda. That's right. That is their agenda. That is the psychological agenda. And, um, It is the agenda to usher in 2030, to do a little bit early, or to begin by doing it, as we've now seen, uh, the the clip surface, October of 2019. Fauci saying, we have to disrupt, and then we have to uh, roll this out uh, iteratively. And that's exactly what they have done. And rolling us into the 2030 agenda, they have to do it gradually, step by step. Here's where we're headed in other aspects. And we're going to talk, of course, about the vaccine mandates and things like that. But let's talk a little bit about the control systems, about replacing workers, which is another aspect of the depopulation. Depopulation is really about making sure that they don't have a lot of people that can threaten them. And they want to take your jobs. It'll make them more money. It'll give them more control. But as Michael Bloomberg said when he was running for president, he said, we got to make sure they don't come after us with guillotines. That was his phrase. And so we're going to keep them pacified with universal basic income. But you've all seen the videos from Davos where they say, you will go nowhere. Uh, you will uh, basically stay at home and we'll bring you what you're going to eat, that type of thing. You'll not eat any, eat any meat. You, you won't own a car. You're not going to go anywhere. And you'll be so much happier. Well, this is uh, gradually rolling out iteratively, disruptively, and by fiat, 
uh, this kind of tyranny. And so now, as we've all seen this coming, and I've talked about this many, many times with Eric Peters, the black boxes, the controls of your car, you know, all this stuff about the autonomous car, that is so that they can take over control of your car, limit where you drive, limit when you can drive, uh, and how much you can drive, and keep you confined to an area. And uh, another step has, is now dropping in this. You've seen the EU doing outright bans of internal combustion engines. That is a, a great deal of that, and moving you over into the new, more computerized uh, and even automated cars. That is a big part of the design. But as an interim step, they can start to control what you're doing even before they ban internal combustion engines. They can start to control more what you're doing by putting the black box in it. They've already started doing this uh, for a number of years with truckers. But this is uh, another level of it. All new cars sold in the EU will be fitted with data recording black boxes beginning this summer. So this is now arriving. And let me tell you, by the plan, by 2030, is that you'll have no private cars because this is a big loophole for them in terms of trying to lock us down, especially in America. You know, they can control public transportation. They can control planes and trains and buses. But when it comes to cars, it's a bit more difficult for them. This is how they do it, by making them expensive and then by gradually... Uh, dunning you for the types of things that you're doing, tracking where you're going, and even being able to uh, turn it off ultimately. At this stage, what they're going to introduce this summer will be a black box uh, that will be recording everything that you do. Uh, it'll record the vehicle speed, its braking, its steering wheel angle, its incline on the road, whether the vehicle's various safety systems were in operation, starting with seatbelts. Now, they have started pushing this through in the EU through the insurance companies. They began, and you notice a pattern here, what they have done with vaccines. First, they uh, put it out there, tell you how wonderful it is. And if you don't want to do it, then they offer you financial incentives to bribe you. Then they come in and they do it with a stick and mandates. And that's what, how this is rolling out. You've had, because insurance has gotten so expensive, especially for young drivers, and that's where they really want to have the impact. They don't want anybody getting used to the freedom that comes with a car. And so they've made it prohibitively expensive for young drivers to have insurance. And so I've reported in the past years how siblings would sometimes get together and work out how uh, they could share the cost. You could get a discount on your insurance if you agreed to put a black box in your car that would track the number of miles that you drove. You see where they're headed, right? Uh, they're training them gradually. These are the training wheels <laughs> for having no wheels. And uh, so if you, uh, so what the, the siblings would do is they could get a discount on insurance. So if they did a, a black box and they went in halves on it, for example, it would just barely be affordable for them. And then they have to worry about, you know, how they allocate the different miles between the two of them. But they would have to do that in order to even be able to afford it. Now they're just going to mandate it for everybody. So not just twisting the arms of people who don't have a lot of money or twins uh, or, or siblings or whatever, but uh, teens. They will uh, mandate this for everybody. The new system will coincide with the introduction of intelligent speed assistance systems, which will warn drivers when they breach their speed limit, but it won't you know, stop the car from going any faster. 
<laughs> because they want to still be able to get tickets. Now, they're saying that this black box data will be fully accessible by the police, but that as of yet, they will not be sharing that information with the insurance companies. When they do share it with the insurance companies, that will be the way that they will price you out of the car. Uh, they will find some way to find fault with everything you do. We've seen this with the Amazon drivers who have a little black box that is second-guessing everything that they do. And some of the drivers have said, you know, I get to a situation where there's a stop sign and I can't see because of trees or shrubbery or whatever and I have to pull forward a little bit. Then it flags that as means not stopping in the right place, all these types of things. And you can expect that that's going to be happening. Now, in, um, as they are short employees, and we've seen this beginning all through 2020, as they started opening some of the restaurants up, some of the a couple of restaurants went in and said, uh, well, we're going to have robots deliver your food to your table. So you don't have to come in contact with a waiter or something like that, right? And they're going to go with the illusion that this was somehow not touched by human hands in the kitchen, hermetically sealed, and then brought to your table by a little robot cart, right? But of course, they're also working in the kitchen to make sure that they can replace people there just for labor costs. And now you got yet another article coming out of uh, ABC uh, talking about um, Silicon Valley, the San Francisco area, the Radisson and Sunnyvale. Uh, they say robots are filling in staffing shortages at some Bay Area hotels with no tips expected. And this whole thing, this, this puff piece from ABC News, is selling the idea of how much better robots are than people. So do you see a trend here, right? You want to have sex dolls, not a human partner. You want to have robots to cook and to deliver your food and to clean your room and all this sort of thing. Because, you know, humans are just so expensive. Uh, they're so filthy. As a matter of fact, Travis Klownick, who uh, began Uber, was saying, that's our goal. You know, that's really where we're headed. That's where we're going to become profitable. Because what makes our car expensive to rent by the ride is that other dude in the car. And I had a, a listener say, you need to, when you talk about these autonomous cars and stuff, you need to show Johnny Cab from Total Recall. I was like, yeah, I, I did that. I did that <laughs> I had to do it again. But I did that years ago when I was talking about that quote from from uh, Travis Klownick. I said, you want to see the other dude in the car? It looks like a Johnny Cab. <laughs> you don't want that other dude in the car necessarily. Uh, but you also don't want to live in a world where we become the uh, Eloy. And that's exactly what they're trying to turn us into. You remember that from H.G. Uh, Wells' Time Machine? You know, he goes forward in the future and he sees these you know, uh, pink, cuddly, soft things. Oh, they're so nice and everything. And then the Morlocks come from underground and will take them away. I mean, they give them everything they want. They're pacified. They don't know how to do anything. They're totally helpless, but they're, you know, they're basically cattle and they're meat for these Morlocks. And uh, that's exactly what these technocrats are. They're Morlocks. And they are trying to turn us into Eloy. Doing a pretty good job of it, as a matter of fact. Take a look at this uh, high-tech invention that is rolling out at the Consumer Electronics Show. That is uh, beginning right now. This, it happens the first week of the new year. And it's kind of an interesting place to go. I always intended to go there, and always there was something that was happening at the beginning of the year. Uh, I will not be going to the Consumer Electronics Show, I guess, ever again, because now they're all about 
vaccine passports. And even if you have a vaccine passport, you still got to get tests over and above the vaccine passport. So nobody's going to be allowed in unless they're completely vaccinated and can prove it to them. And then uh, you still have to do a test. So they don't believe that their vaccines work, right? And we know they don't. But anyway, the Consumer Electronics Show is interesting to see how they are rolling things out. And a couple of years ago, the Consumer Electronics Show really just kind of focused on autonomous cars and a bunch of other technology that was really pointing towards 2030. Take a look at this robot, that, uh, and I'll, I'll let you uh, listen to the description of how this robot works the Beomni, I guess is the way you pronounce this, 1.0. Beyond Imagination is a company. Beyond Imagination invites you to CES booth 9227, Tech East Hall. Come meet Beyond Me, the world's first fully functional general purpose robotic platform, enabling remote work at a high level of fidelity to be done from around the globe. Via a human pilot assisted by an AI brain, Beyond Me can perform a limitless number of jobs. Learning through human commercial use, over time, Beyond Me's AI brain evolves, going from learning to assisting to semi-autonomous and then fully autonomous on a task-by-task -task basis. Our robotics platform is the iPhone and App Store, iOS of robotics. Connecting you to Beyond Me's AI brain serves as a marketplace for Beyond and third-party hardware and software and service portal. Beyond Me will operate in a limitless number of verticals, starting in aeronautics and aerospace, aircraft inspections, biomanufacturing, traditional manufacturing, elder care, healthcare, logistics. Our robotics system also serves as a remobilization platform, allows the physically challenged to go beyond bodily limits, enabling them to care for themselves, their family, and if they wish to go back to work. Our platform serves as an ultimate service provider, instantly bringing any service provider directly into your home or office. Need a cook, gardener, maid, doctor? With a few clicks, you can order one right in your robot. Join us at CES to see how we are transforming the world. Okay, and uh, so it's kind of interesting the way they pronounce that. It is actually like B Omni, right? as in everywhere or everything. And, um, but it also sounds like he's saying beyond me <laughs> because, you know, we've got beyond meat and now we've got robots that are beyond me. I, you know, they don't need me anymore. The future doesn't need you. It's beyond you. <laughs> it's beyond me. Uh, it was also, did you also catch uh, what he was saying? He kind of mentioned it a little better around the globe or whatever, but I've shown a picture uh, and for those of you who are listening to it, as we're watching the visuals, you could see that uh, there was somebody who was using a VR headset and had hand controls, and they were doing things essentially by you know uh, VR proxy with this robot. Now, what they're saying is that will uh, they envision their robots being manipulated like that and then starting to learn with AI so they can start to, and I don't know really uh, how um, effective that is. Will, will the AI brain really be able to learn how to do that independently? When you look at, however, how it's going to start, you can immediately see what the applications are for this today. Because we've seen pictures of 
uh, and they, they touted it once before. They had a robot that was controlled remotely, VR, by somebody, and it was being used to stock shelves in a convenience store. And they were touting that as something very useful during the lockdown. You, you got an employee who, you know, you don't want to, you can't have people in the stores working and so forth, so they can work from home. Well, that doesn't really make sense because if you're that worried about everything, you don't want any, you know, customers aren't going to be going out either. And I said at the time, I said, no, what this is really about, this is really about bringing in cheap foreign labor without bringing them physically into the country. Remember that the biggest driver of the immigration crisis, and it is a crisis that we have now, the biggest driver of that immigration crisis are the corporations that uh, both the Democrats and the Republicans allow to uh, use uh, illegal uh, labor. And um, so this is a bipartisan agreement that in order to help the big corporations, they will bring in cheaper foreign labor. Now, you don't actually have to have the people make the journey to come into your country. If you have these types of VR robots, and I think this is one of the reasons why Facebook is pushing this so hard, the metaverse. You'll be able to work in the metaverse, and you'll be competing against somebody who lives in a very low-cost low-income area like India, for example, uh, and uh, they'll be able to directly hire people in India to do these types of tasks. Uh, they will be able to get on VR and they'll be able to control one of these Beomni robots or the other brands of it, and they'll be able to do the tasks and they'll work for a tiny, tiny fraction of what you work for. It'll be another way of pushing you out of the workforce other than using vaccine mandates. And so um, when you look at this, I, I think that is the key issue right there. And to underscore that, I played for you yesterday. I thought it was funny that uh, press conference that Biden was there. And he was really astonished that, you know, price of food, because he doesn't buy his own food, obviously. Probably hasn't for decades. And a $5 a pound ground meat, you know, ground beef. This is crazy. And so he criticized uh, you know, verbally criticized the four big corporations. As he pointed out, four big corporations control more than half of the markets in beef, pork, and poultry. And uh, those four corporations are Tyson Foods, Cargill, the National Beef Packing Company, and JBS. Uh, one of those is owned by uh, foreign interests as well. Uh, and there's probably uh, uh, more than one of those that have a lot of foreign ownership. Uh, those uh, conglomerates had 35% of the market uh, not that long ago. Today, it is 85% of the market. So when he says it's more than half, it's way more than half. It's 85% of the market. 85% of all the meat that you buy is comes through four corporations. And um, so what he decided he would do is he announced that they were going to do something to help the people who were competing against them. But then on the other hand, what he also is doing is stopping ice raids at meatpacking plants. Uh, they were having finding a few too many people that had come here that were working at very, very cheap uh, labor. So by eliminating the ice raids, as Breitbart points out, it is a massive labor protection for the corporate meatpackers, just as the Biden administration has released 
More than half a million border crossers, many of whom will take jobs at meatpacking plants. Uh, so that is what is, that's the reality of what is happening now. But it's going to get much worse as you see all these different makes of robots come in, allow people to get on the metaverse and work that way very cheaply. We will be right back. Stay with us. You're listening to The David Knight Show. And, of course, that's assuming that you'll have any meat. <laughs> KFC has now thrown in their lot with the uh, Bill Gates of the world and the people who want you to have lab meat. Well, ultimately, Bill Gates just wants you eating bugs. Uh, but um, KFC is now going to add Beyond Meat, which is going to be plant-based chicken, to their menus. Uh, that began on... Um, I guess it begins this coming Monday uh, is when that is going to happen. Uh, they've been testing it in various markets. It's a meat substitute that, you know, hey, as everybody says, they, <laughs> it tastes like chicken, right? Never <laughs> anybody eats any kind of strange meal. Oh, it tastes like chicken. Well, the, this, is, um, this is vegetables that taste like chicken. It mimics the taste and the texture of whole muscle chicken like chicken breast. Uh, so um, that's the next uh, step out there. It reminds me, when we went to China to adopt our daughter, uh, we were struggling to find what we wanted to eat. It was difficult to figure out, and they had some very strange things that they would eat. They would eat uh, chicken feet, for example. I, I saw an article saying that because the price of chicken is soaring like everything else, especially food, that instead of doing drumsticks, they're going to go to, um, uh, to chicken thighs. And it made me think. I always thought the drumstick was high, and so I, I had to look that up to see where the different cuts come from. But uh, when we were in uh, China, they would you know, chicken feet was, was a big thing. They're not selling that part of the chicken yet, but if we get poor enough, uh, they will, because uh, there's not a whole lot to, to eat on that. But um, uh, we would see all kinds of strange things, fish lips and uh, a lot of stuff like that. So after a while, we started... Uh, looking for something that was familiar. <laughs> and they have a lot of KFCs in China. And uh, they didn't call them chicken. It's just KFC. And, of course, uh, I guess that's maybe looking ahead, maybe that's why they changed the name to KFC because they saw they are going to be doing a lot of other stuff. But when we got the, the chicken in China, uh, the drumsticks were super small, and they were all white meat. So they were very short, but they were fatter than a typical drumstick that you see here. And it was all white meat instead of dark meat. And so we kind of joked, uh, we don't know exactly what we're eating. Uh, maybe the C in China stands for Kentucky Fried Creatures. But they're not going to be frying any creatures. They're going to be frying up plant-based chicken. <laughs> uh, so it not, it's not uh, chicken at all. Uh, when I look at what happened with a big snowstorm, you know, I don't typically do weather. But I thought it was interesting that... You know, uh, Senator Tim Kaine, first of all, I think it's interesting that he commutes on I-95 two hours each way, <laughs> every day. He must not have a big workload once he gets there with a two-hour commute each way. Uh, but he got stuck for 27, 28 hours on uh, I-95 because of the snow. 
I thought it was more interesting, actually, that people got stuck on a train for 30 hours. Now, how does that happen? I mean, I can understand how that happens on a road. I've been stuck in major snowstorms, and typically what would happen is it would just close the, the road down, even if somebody had a four-wheel drive that they could make it, they'd close it down. Or maybe you had a four-wheel drive, and maybe there's somebody who didn't and didn't have snow tires or whatever, didn't have the clearance, and they got stuck in front of you. That's what I got stuck in in, in uh, Buffalo, New York one time. It was right before Thanksgiving. And uh, went up there with a the family, and they got so much snow so quickly that everybody got trapped. You had, it was over the Thanksgiving weekend, you had kids who were trying to get home from school and they had to, uh, they couldn't get home just a couple of miles from school. So they had to stay over the Thanksgiving holidays in whatever building they could get to. And uh, we were stuck there for quite some time, even though we had a four-wheel drive, because cars would get stuck in the road. You know, it happened so quickly, nobody put on snow tires. They didn't, weren't able to get the, the roads cleared. And because the trucks got stuck, uh, cars got stuck everywhere on the road, they couldn't get the snow equipment there to remove the snow because the cars were in the way. And so I kind of understand how that happens. Now, uh, Governor Northam, a lot of people were upset with him, say, just just leave. You're not interested in doing the job anymore. Just leave because of what he did during the, <laughs> during the snowstorm. This is why I'm talking about this. When this happened, he said, well, we'll try to get some people out there to help you, but the sunlight's going to take care of the snow. We'll let it clear. That's basically what he said. Sunlight will, will clear this all up. Yeah, we noticed that. <laughs> we noticed that. But, of course, this is a governor – uh, a doctor who has a medical degree who says if a baby survives an abortion, you just set him over on the side uh, and let him die. It's called comfort care. And, of course, people were absolutely amazed. They thought that was something he thought of. No, that is something that um, came out in the Gosnell trial. And uh, the movie Gosnell that was done by fellow McAleer, uh, it was a courtroom drama. And that was the kind of the center of the, the most amazing thing about that trial of Kermit Gosnell is the fact that the people on the jury were so blown away by that, just like people were blown away by the fact that the governor would just casually say, yeah, if a child survives an abortion, we just leave it over here and let it die. That's what Gosnell was convicted of. Two babies, of course, he also killed a... Uh, woman of color who was an illegal immigrant who had complications and they couldn't get to her because of his shoddy clinic that didn't have doors and hallways wide enough. But uh, he was also convicted of murdering two babies that survived his abortion. Instead of, if he would have just done it like Northam does, just leave them over to the side and let them die. Or, you know, if you have a snowstorm, you don't have to call out the crews to clear, clean things up. You just wait till the sunlight comes out. It'll take care of it, right? Uh, Manhattan DA is uh, a new a new district attorney has been sworn in, and um, he has decided that he's going to stop seeking prison sentences and violent crimes for the most part. He will still look for you know a handful of cases like if you murder somebody, yeah, he'll probably still you know put you in jail for a while. But if you do armed robbery, uh, no, no, not going to look for a jail sentence with that. This is a guy, this is yet another one of these district attorneys like Cheza Boudin in San Francisco that are connected to the radical left funded by Soros. He was, he just got elected. And in his campaign, he was backed by a Soros organization. He was backed by the New York Times. Uh, 
He was at the top of their bestsellers list, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but um, we had already seen this as well. As Obama was leaving, as Trump was coming in, you know, during that transition period between the 2016 election and the swearing-in in January 2017, it was widely reported uh, uh, that Obama and Eric Holder were refocusing their efforts on district attorneys, state uh, attorney generals as well as district attorneys. And um, we knew that they were going to be doing this with uh, Soros at the time as well. And we can now see what the goal is of that. The goal is to create chaos, as you can see happening throughout California with this and other places where they say, well, we're not going to do anything about shoplifters. So now that has escalated. You know, it was bad enough when somebody would come in and steal nearly $1,000 and walk out. And if you tried to stop them, you would be prosecuted for assault or battery or whatever. And uh, so it began that way. They could come in, and as long as it was under $1,000, they could walk out with whatever they wanted, drop that off with somebody, and then come back in and get another $1,000. But now it has evolved because if you don't punish crime like that, it gets worse. Now you've got gangs that are going in places, and now the gangs, after doing smash and grabs into stores and shutting down major chains who can't stay in business, now they're going after wealthy residents in Beverly Hills, as I pointed out earlier this week. Now, Beverly Hills is uh, people are going to their only gun store in Beverly Hills, which operates as a concierge and <laughs> getting shotguns from the concierge. Yes, will there be anything else, sir? Um, so... You have uh, homicides and a handful of other cases will be prosecuted. Uh, but for the most part, uh, you know, some sex crimes, he said, some sex crimes. I'm assuming these are the sex crimes that are not created, uh, not committed by politicians or uh, people who are affiliated with politicians. Uh, so some of those will will be prosecuted. Here's what his memo says, Bragg. He says, armed robbers who use guns or other deadly weapons to stick up stores and other businesses, will be prosecuted only for petty larceny. That is a misdemeanor. Provided no victims are seriously injured. Armed robbery, a Class B felony, would typically be punishable by a maximum of 25 years in prison, while petty larceny uh, offenders get up to 364 days in jail and a $1,000 fine. So the maximum that you can get is one year instead of 25 years. I mean, you commit armed robbery, thats I think that is a serious offense. But the new district attorney, the Soros district attorney in New York, doesn't think so. So you can expect armed robbery to soar, to soar. Let's take a look at uh, a follow-up on this story that I had yesterday, which I think was the most significant thing. I, I thought it was very significant to talk about mass formation psychosis and uh, to talk about what is really, you know, it's interesting, as I said, to look at psychology. You can learn things about people's minds, about their behavior by studying them. But we need to understand that there is something that is far deeper than just our interactions or even far deeper than the propaganda and lies that are manipulating us. We have to understand that there is a spiritual nature to this. And we have to understand that... Um, we have cultivated a society where we are reaping what we have sown for quite some time, just as Germany reaped what they sowed. As they broke their connection to God, this is what they became. 
It is both a judgment from God and is also the fruit of what you do. Both of those things are at work there. That's what I talked about a great deal yesterday. But as an example of somebody who has completely bought into this, so th- this this update to the story, where I uh, had not seen uh, the comments uh, from this individual, the insurance company. Do we have that clip, uh, Travis, the insurance clip? I don't see that on my board. Uh, can you go ahead and uh, run that insurance clip, and then I'll comment on that uh, when we come back, the significance of what he has to say. Go ahead and run the clip. One of our businesses is that we offer group life and disability insurance to employers. And we are seeing right now the highest death rates we have ever seen in the history of this business, not just at One America. The, the data is consistent across every player uh, in, in, that, in that business. Now, this is primarily um, working age people, 18 to 64 that are in em- employers like all the employers on, on the screen here. And what we saw just in third quarter, we're seeing it continue into fourth quarter, is that uh, death rates are up 40% over what they were pre-pandemic. Now, just to give you a, a, an idea of how bad that is, a three sigma or a one in 200 year uh, catastrophe would be 10% increase uh, over pre-pandemic. So uh, 40% is just unheard of. And what the data is showing us is that um, the deaths that are being reported as COVID deaths greatly understate the actual death losses among working age people from the pandemic. It may not all be COVID on their death certificate, but deaths are up uh, at just a huge, huge numbers. Uh, we're also seeing a, an uptick in uh, disability claims. At first, it was short-term disability claims, and now we're seeing long-term disability, whether it's long COVID or whether it is because people haven't been able to get the health care that they need because the hospitals are overrun. We're seeing those claims start to take up as well. And for One America, uh, we expect the costs of this are going to be well over $100 million, and this is our smallest business. So it's having a huge impact on that. That Those costs will, will trickle towards other employers over time because uh, premiums are starting to go up. So it will cost more for employers. And most of us in the industry are starting to target and to add uh, premium loads onto uh, employers that are based in counties that have low vaccination rates. See, this is the insurance industry where your life the life of your loved ones, is reduced to a financial transaction, a death benefit. And so that's part of this. But, I, you know, as I put out that report yesterday, and I said, this is amazing to see that you have uh, a 40% increase in the working people. Now, again, in an insurance industry, they have their actuarial tables, and they know what the probabilities are for all types of things, but especially uh, death by age. And all throughout this, as we started getting this information, of course, we had a couple of weeks' worth of data coming out of Italy before we even had the declaration of an emergency by Fauci's uh, puppet Trump. Even before that happened, uh, we were seeing that you had uh, the, the – um, COVID deaths, what they were labeling as COVID deaths, I've said over and over again, it looks like the insurance company's actuarial tables. It begins in the mid-50s, you start to see a big uptick, and then it goes up exponentially with age. That is not what we saw with previous pandemics. 
they did not discriminate based on age. And you now have uh, some epidemiologists uh, saying this whole lockdown uh, in the UK, saying this whole lockdown is the University of Edinburgh uh, epidemiologist. He said, uh, uh, we were told at the very beginning of this that the virus does not discriminate. And he goes, oh, no, it, it really, you know, they do. They discriminate uh, people who are elderly, people who have health conditions, I think. And, and he said, and that's exactly what we saw. And I forget what the metric was. I've got the article here. We'll get to it in a second. But he pointed out, I think it's something like a thousand times more likely to die if you're elderly than if you were young. And so he goes, it definitely does discriminate. Now, this is the insurance industry. Why would he not know that this looked like the actuarial table all this time? And yet he can look at this and he can say, these are younger people going all the way down to 18. And he said, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen a 40% increase. He goes, if you have a uh, once in 200 year event, something that is three sigma out, you know, three standard deviations from the mean increase, he said, that's typically going to be something like a 10% increase. And he says, and this is you know, 40%. This is unheard of that you see something like that. So he can look at all of that, and yet you understand that either unconsciously or consciously, he will attribute everything to COVID and to a lack of a vaccine. And that's exactly what he did, even though he said in his analysis there, well, it doesn't have COVID on the death certificate, but we know that's what it is. You see, this is the game that they've been playing with us from the very beginning. I don't know if he's part of that game or if he's been played. I don't know if he's playing the game or if he's being played. But that's the reality. When I put that report up yesterday, I put it up late in the evening on Twitter, I had some person say, well, you, that's all fake news. It's like, it's not fake news. And she must have heard him say that. And she's unable to think through this critically. Even more damning is the fact that he says, I don't remember if it was in that clip that I played for you, but the transcript of all of his um comments, said that this began in the third quarter of this year. If this is about COVID, then why did it wait until the third quarter of this year? Why did it start happening when we started vaccinating the younger and younger people in a couple of months after that happened? It didn't happen throughout all of 2020. And it didn't even happen at the beginning of 2021 where they were vaccinating the elderly and people who are at risk that they, because he's talking, he's not even looking at that. He's looking at the people who are not old, the people who are working, the people who are not infirm. And he's saying those people are just off the charts, completely off the charts. He said this began in the third quarter, and it's continued into the fourth quarter that they have jumped up. And uh, so, you know, we're talking about a situation where that is so rare that it's less than a quarter of a percent chance of happening. A 99.74% chance that it is not going to happen. And it did. And it is off the charts, even beyond that. And they, so he says the majority of deaths being filed are not classified due to COVID. But we know it is. This is the same circular logic that you've seen with both Delta and with Omicron. They would say, well, we're not doing DNA sequencing to see if this is the Delta variant. We don't have the capability of doing that many and. Uh, you know, so we're just assuming that's what it is because we know that Delta is everywhere. And they said that. They said, we're not doing the DNA sequencing to determine if it's a different variant. But we know that Delta is everywhere. So we know that's what it is. That's what he's doing. He says, well, we know that COVID is killing everybody. So even though it doesn't say COVID on the death certificate, we know it's got to be COVID. 
But they're dying from a wide variety of things as well. As a matter of fact, he was not the only person to be talking there. Uh, you also had the president of the Indiana Hospital Association. He said the hospitals across the state are being flooded with patients with many different conditions. He said, unfortunately, uh, the average Hoosier's health, because we're talking about people in Indiana, has declined during the pandemic. So that's what it is. Right? You're just not getting out enough, and so your health has declined. It's, you know, that's the lockdown. It's COVID that's killing people. It's the lockdown that's killing people. They're committing suicide. It isn't the vaccine. Delta is not the vaccine. Omicron's not the vaccine. The excess deaths are not the vaccine. The excess deaths are COVID. They're all COVID. He said the extraordinarily high death rate has, uh, that was quoted by this insurance guy is the same thing the hospitals have been seeing. And so, um, you know, again, this happened only after the vaccines rolled out to those age groups. Happened very briefly after that. So he went for over a year and a half. Didn't see this with COVID. And then he didn't see it with, with Delta either. Then it started happening. And um, uh, <laughs> the actual number of people who are dying from COVID is actually going down. And uh, finally, as uh, Steve Kirsch points out, he says they're dying from a variety of causes, not just from a single cause. I talked about that as well. Uh, so this rules out things like an air-based pathogen, right? You're, you're, if you're dying from heart attacks and blood clots and things like that, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not COVID. These are different effects. And, and so even though somebody is dying from a heart attack and they don't test positive for COVID, this insurance guy is saying it's, it's COVID. Which means, and he says, because so many people are dying, our life insurance policies are going to have to go up. And that's going to be across the board. He said, this is not just happening in our state. And it's going to have to go up. And so he, because he says it's about COVID, he assumes that. That's his assumption. Because he assumes that vaccines are somehow going to stop it, he goes on to make the extraordinary statement that we're going to start charging companies more if they have unvaccinated workers. This is just insanity, piled on top of insanity. The way Steve Kirsch puts it uh, when he reported on this, he says, so the CEO of the insurance company doesn't think the vaccines are causing the deaths and disabilities. He's requiring his employees to be vaccinated. So it can't be the vaccine, even though the vaccine fits all the facts. Steve Kirsch says, darn it. <laughs> the CEO knows that the vaccines are safe and effective. He has no evidence to back that statement up, but we should believe him. Since he's an authority figure, you know, like the CDC. And we always trust authority figures, even more so when they have no evidence. Because who needs evidence? Science has ended. We now have authority figures. Because arguments from authority is the exact opposite of the scientific method. Going back to Francis Bacon, he said, let's make this empiricism instead of authority. And so, uh, and Sarkat, I like what he had to say here because he says, uh, so I got to say I'm baffled. I thought that it was a COVID vaccine because it fit all the evidence, except for this last thing where the CEO says it isn't. I was just so close. <laughs> but I, I hadn't read that when I did that analysis. But, of course, if, if you look at this, you understand that it's the vaccine. It's not COVID. But he projects it onto that even though they don't say that it is COVID. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
You're listening to The David Knight Show. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com. And I want to thank uh, the people who have uh, supported us. Uh, uh, very grateful, especially. Let me just—I uh, can't. Uh, a lot of the people that have um, sent us things by mail, uh, it's difficult for us to get back to. So let me just—I'm um, not going to read out people's full names, but just uh, let me uh, give a shout out to this long list of people uh, who sent us uh, things at the very end of the month that uh, got us to the uh, the goal for last month. Uh, Jim H., uh, Tim S., thank you, both of you. That's very generous what you sent. Uh, James F., Brent and Ingrid, Kevin H., Craig B., Lois L., Jeremy W., Chris O., Robert M., Eric W., Patrick M., Russell E., uh, Jana, uh, Jana C., uh, Peter G., Kenneth S., George and Heather, uh, Thomas M, Ben A, Tom M, Stan and Tamara, James H, Martin T, Susan V, Kevin G, Greg S, Rhonda L, Susie M, Mary S, Karen S, the McCains, uh, Peter and Kathy. Uh, so um, I, I did say somebody's last name, but I didn't have <laughs> didn't have the first name. Uh, I hope I didn't get you in any trouble with anybody. Yeah, you know, because. <laughs> This is a heavily banned show, so I have to be careful. Um, but uh, it really makes a big difference to us, and, and we really do appreciate that. And um, and I just have to say, I also got a card uh, from an individual and a check uh, saying, I'm sorry, it couldn't be more, but I have, um, you know, it's no jab and no job for me. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to do this, Stan. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to... As you can hear, you know, God has provided for us in a, with a lot of people who have done that. If you are in a situation where things are difficult, we're going to make the show uh, free for people. That's why I wanted to put some ads in it. You know, the live show is, is free there, uh, and we're looking for a way that we can. And it's difficult when we got a, you know, people are sending us the stuff that is not on Subscribestar or something like that for us to know. 
uh, who is a supporter that we can give them a, um, uh, a show without an ad uh, because uh, your support, even a small amount of support, the ad is, is as I mentioned, uh, even somebody that uh, comes in at a $5 level, uh, if you downloaded every single show uh, and with all the ads and everything and listen to them on the app, that would, that would be a teeny, teeny, tiny fraction of the, the $5. Uh, so, um, you know, that is a, a much bigger help to us. And so we're trying to, to find a way that we can make that available to people. The biggest problem is trying to, um, uh, get a list of, uh, of those that we can, can do that. And we haven't figured out how to do that yet. Uh, but, um, I want to make this uh, free to people. Um, but we do need to, um, uh, you know, have, uh, some funds to do this. And so I really do appreciate people who have the ability to do that. And um, I'm sure that things will change for you. And um, so uh, if you are in a situation like that, don't feel burdened to do that. We appreciate it if somebody, like a, one person, that's why you have the coffee thing there. One person said, you know, I'm sitting here uh, listening to the show. I do it on a regular basis. They said, I also have coffee every day. I'm drinking the coffee. I'm like, well, I could at least give it, you know, the amount of a cup of coffee uh, for a month for that. And so I appreciate that. Uh, and just a little bit, if uh, everybody, uh, if we have a lot of people doing that, that makes it work. Uh, this is also a letter from uh, Brent and Ingrid. Uh, said, uh, we're praying for the Lord's version of a great reset. His plan is always better. That's right. And, and that's the key thing. God, if you have a relationship with God, he's going to build your life back better, regardless of what happens. Uh, and, and that may not look like um, you have the same financial situation that you had before. We had a radical change in our financial situation uh, a little over 20 years ago, and um, it was a difficult time, but it was also the best time that we've ever had uh, because what it did was it showed that God would provide for us no matter what the circumstances. And, um, and it helped me uh, to—it it cured something in my life. In my life, I had been pursuing money, and I had taken it for granted that I could do that. And so to have something like that happen, it really checked my attitude and it helped my perspective. And that was one of the biggest blessings. But then the second thing that was great was to be able to see that God would put me in that situation uh, in a timeout, if you will, <laughs> put me in the penalty box, as uh, my pastor said, and, um, uh, <laughs> and uh, provide at the same time. It's like, no, you don't need to do this and you can't do this in your own strength, but I can do it for you. Uh, so that was a real blessing. And so I think a lot of people are going to get uh, some tough love this year. Uh, and that's why I tell you, look at that George Mueller book. Anyway, um, this is from uh, Karen in uh, Tennessee. She said um, she's working in a temporary situation, um, I think, uh, that is involving looking at, I don't want to get too specific about this because I don't want to get her in any trouble. But she said, my journey started, uh, she's looking at, at uh, situations of, um, of death you know, and processing that for people. She said, my journey started by, from attending an online seminar with DHS last January. Speaker for the seminar mentioned twice that taking the vaccines was like flying in an airplane, which the engine was not yet built. How strange that he would say that. And he mentioned Pfizer twice, or she did. Uh, so <laughs> I guess that was kind of like, uh, I can't really come out and say this, but I'm kind of warning you. That's the way I look at this, perhaps. 
Anyway, um, she says, I filed a religious exemption, and it is still pending. On one of the applications I processed, a coroner put in caps that the patient had died of COVID, but was completely vaccinated. I've never seen that done in complete caps before. It startled me. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, she's in the thick of it and, and uh, seeing these types of things happening. Uh, this letter is from um, uh, Patricia, and I had put out a prayer request uh, for their pastor, uh, who was ill at the time. And uh, so along with other things, she said, thank you for praying for our pastor, sending that request out nationally. Keep working uh, while it is the day, for the night comes when no man can work. And she went on to say, um, P.S., our pastor has been improving as well, the mental and emotional toll on his wife and family. Uh, we'll let you know as we get updates. So that's that's good to know. Uh, this is from Kevin and Haley, who are in uh, Canada, uh, in British Columbia. And uh, they sent a uh, coin, a uh, Canadian uh Maple leaf silver coin, beautiful coin, and um, and this is kind of interesting. This is um, uh, carrot bars, and I had seen this on the internet, but I had never actually seen one. It's very very attractive, very nice. And uh, what it is, it's a uh, uh, a fraction of uh, gold that's represented with. It. I don't really know how this works, uh, but it is cash gold, and uh, so it's interesting. You know, there will be a way that people will find to survive. Uh, even if our government, and especially if our government takes everything down with the uh, Federal Reserve, we will find a way to do this. You know, during the during the Depression, in certain uh, communities, and again, that's why the communities are important. There are communities all over the country because the, the, the dollar was such a mess, the Federal Reserve was such a mess, they started minting wooden coins that people could use to transact with each other within that community. And you still have some of those around as uh, in some some uh, museums. So as we were talking about this crazy take from this insurance company, I mean, the, the fundamental data was bombshell. And then he comes in with his uh, presumptions that completely kept him from understanding the reality of it. You know, the, the timing of this, the magnitude of it, the people, the age of the people, uh, how unusual this, that will all just completely escaped him. And he uses it to double down on the vaccine. And then we have mainstream media saying, uh, are you too old to shovel snow? If you're over 45, beware of the heart attacks, you know, or if you were jabbed, I mean, we could say, beware if you're 16 years old and you're jabbed, you shouldn't be out there shoveling snow either because you could also <laughs> die of a heart attack. This is the way this thing is rolling out. Um, it's absolutely insane uh, that they would do this. But of course, you know, this is somebody who has a big business. That's a hundred billion dollar business, one America. And I'm sure that he doesn't want to rock the boat, but he may actually, you know, truly believe this. I don't know. Uh, one analysis of this from vaccine impact said, Indiana has a very low vaccination rate compared to the rest of the country. And if these numbers are that high in Indiana, Imagine how high the numbers of people who are dying from all types of things other than COVID, heart, heart attacks and other things like that in states where there's a very high rate of vaccination. And we do see that the hospitalizations, as well as even the COVID cases, are directly correlated 
to how high the vaccination rate is. That is true from state to state. It's true from country to country. The more vaccinated the people are, the sicker they are. Funny how that works. He points out in Indiana, uh, well, the national average of people who've gotten one shot is 74%. In Indiana, it is 57%. The number of people throughout the U.S. that have gotten the second shot, that's 63% on average. Uh, In Indiana, it's 52%. So he goes, so if they're seeing this kind of stuff in Indiana, imagine how it is in the rest of the country. And he goes on to say, if you look at the VAERS database, uh, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System run by the CDC, the percentage of reported deaths among the, amongst the workforce age, that's 16 to, uh, or, yeah, 16, or 18 to 24, 18 to 24, is much higher this year for the COVID shots. If you look at This age range, between the ages of 18 and 64 for one year, VAERS shows this last year 3,294 deaths. And again, Columbia University just finished a study. They said, we think it's 20 times higher. We think only 5% are being reported. We'd had a previous study done by Harvard, commissioned by HHS, said, well, we think that um, only 1%. Not 5%, but only 1% are being reported. So we don't know. We know that is probably much, much higher. But let's just go with the number right now and compare the number of deaths for working age people, 18 to 64, for one year. Let's compare that to uh, the average for the last 31 years. For the last 31 years, for all the other vaccines combined, there were 851 deaths. That would mean that per year, you're looking at an average of 27 deaths reported to VAERS from vaccines, uh, 27 per year. Whereas this last year, we had 3,294. That is 121 times higher, or a 12,100% increase, not just 40%. So it's even worse, again, because there are places where there's a much higher percentage of people vaccinated. Even worse than this insurance CEO was was saying. Uh, maybe he needs to look at the data a little bit more closely. Um, and finally, Vaccine Impact points out it's now been over a decade since Gates gave his TED Talk in 2010, where he said better vaccines could reduce the world's population. That was labeled a conspiracy theory. It's, oh, I just misspoke. He's not trying to kill people. And it's happening right now. And still, you have the population thinks it's a conspiracy theory. This guy who lives by the numbers, who looks at the actuarial tables, he can't look at the actu- at, at the, the VAERS information or the statistics from the CDC last year and come up with the right conclusion because he doesn't want to see it. Another Doctor has died with blood clots shortly after receiving his Pfizer vaccine. 57-year-old doctor um, in Nashville, Tennessee. His 19-year-old daughter said he became sick sometime after his first vaccine. He somewhat brushed it off. Usually when he gets sick, he feels better the next day. But then he was hospitalized on December the 7th. He died two weeks later. Uh, He was admitted. uh, Blood clots were spreading throughout his body. They noted that he had started to clot. Uh, from his lower region, so his legs, uh, his legs, and started to work up, and uh, so we're seeing this over and over again. I've talked about the uh, the reporter for the New York Times, 49 years old. He dies of a heart attack within 24 hours of getting the jab. But nevertheless, the FDA 
has approved the Pfizer booster, says Zero Hedge. And again, they haven't approved it. They authorized it. That's a very important distinction. We're going to talk about that when it comes up. But then, okay, they've taken it down, emergency use authorization for 12 to 15-year-old kids, and they dismissed the risk of what they say is mild heart inflammation. There is no such thing as mild heart disease. You don't recover for that from that. Uh, so this is something that's going to damage the hearts of kids who suffer from myocarditis and pericarditis for life. And if you're going to do this as an emergency, if you looked at the government's own figures from the CDC, from VAERS and so forth, you understand there is no emergency for kids that age. None whatsoever. Quick break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The David Knight Show. Again, the headline, FDA approves Pfizer booster. First line, as expected, the FDA has finally approved Pfizer COVID booster for children between the ages of 12 and 15. Again, let's understand the term is authorized. This is an emergency use authorization, and it makes all the difference in the world from a legal standpoint. And so I want to talk about that uh, in terms of uh, that's coming up here when we talk about the vaccine mandates, again, with the court cases. But the FDA didn't just authorize boosters for younger patients. It also shortened the time in between shots. In a statement released on Monday, the FDA said that it had amended the emergency use authorization for the Pfizer vaccine to shorten the time between the completion of primary vaccination and the first booster dose to five months and will allow a third dose for children uh, who are immunocompromised between the ages of 5 to 11 years. Well, of course, this should finish them up. If they've already got immune system problems, that will double down on that. Um, why are we arresting in Long Island a woman who, in very strange circumstances, they say, we don't know the relationship of this woman to this kid, but a teenage kid was on New Year's Eve allegedly injected by a woman with a vaccine she said, uh, don't tell your parents. Uh, so uh, she did it without parental consent. Uh, and that's not why they arrested her. They arrested her because uh, she was not a physician who was authorized, authorized to administer doses of the vaccine. So they said that uh, she was charged with unauthorized practice of a profession. That's what they're concerned about. Uh, they're not concerned really with her harming the kid, because otherwise, you know, we would uh, be arresting the FDA. Well, that's an idea. I would hardly agree with that. Those people should be arrested. 
And we stop and think about the fact that uh, this woman who is, again, the charge is she is practicing medicine without authorization. You have people who are being injected without uh, approval, you know, that, and that's the key thing. You, they can do an emergency use authorization, but you can't then blackmail people. If this is an emergency use authorization, then you have to give people the option not to do it. And you've got companies and you've got Biden and all these people who are trying to blackmail you into getting something that is still an emergency authorization. And uh, so, uh, you know, these people, these people are the ones who are practicing medicine without the required approval. And that's what the judge said. I'm going to break down the difference between these two court decisions about the military in just a second. Uh, but um, DeSantis mockingly said that the Biden administration has cornered the entire market for life-saving coronavirus treatment. Yeah, because, you know, uh, only the things that Fauci says are allowed uh, can, can be uh, used. So they've cornered the market. And that really is what they've done. This really is all about cornering the market, making sure that you will use nothing other than the products that uh, Fauci is allied with. Gilead Pharmaceutical and their remdesivir. He tried to sell that for AIDS. People said, no, it's dangerous. It harms your organs. I think it was the liver that it was particularly bad with. Uh, but a very dangerous drug and totally ineffective. He says, all right, let's try it again when uh, Ebola came around. Same story. Very dangerous, and it doesn't work. And so then he does it again with COVID because, you know, hey, their, their patent is starting to run out. And so they said, um, um, it's still just as dangerous and it's still just as ineffective. You know, they had a, a test that was put up on the WHO's site. Fauci got that taken down <laughs> uh, within a few hours. And within a week, he put out his own study, which again showed that it was not effective. But then he changed the standard. A therapeutic is supposed to cure people. He said, no, no, no. It gets you be If you survive, you're going to get better 30% faster. And this is now the standard of care. Uh, so I guess uh, it would be an interesting when when Rand Paul is coming after Fauci uh, and uh, attacking him, rightfully so, for a lot of these things. Uh, it would be interesting to see if Rand Paul would talk about remdesivir because his wife bought stock in remdesivir. Yeah, that's part of the professional wrestling that's going on with all this stuff. Airline pilots for safety for themselves and for their families. And... Um, I interviewed um, someone with this organization, but as they point out, are, are pilots not sufficiently expert for our free press? Nobody wants to report this information. Well, I, I did. I had somebody on that I interviewed. Now, this is sent to me by a listener again. If Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates know more about it than the pilots do, then let those two fly airliners after getting double jabbed. Uh, but there's a little bit more of an update of the information here uh, since I did the interview. Uh, they're saying that um, uh, refusal to uh, sign these agreements typically mean, meant termination of employment in New Zealand and other places. Uh, they say uh, since these newest court decisions, Southwest Airlines and American Airlines have backed down from mandating employees. Uh, Delta 
bucked the trend and refused to require mandatory vaccination for its workforce, stating only that monthly health care insurance premiums for unvaccinated employees would rise to $200. See, I, I think that's exactly what this insurance executive is doing. They're always looking for some way that they can uh, hit you for increased rates. I mean, he does have a financial uh, incentive to say that this is about people not getting vaccinated. This is all about people dying from COVID and not getting vaccinated because they can use that. Uh, that's a metric that they can use to raise your insurance rates. Yeah, he's got to recover his cost somehow because people are dying everywhere. So let's call it COVID and let's say that it's a problem of the unvaccinated. We can charge them more. And that's exactly what Southwest did. Uh, I'm sorry, Delta did. Southwest and American Airlines backed down from mandating employees, Boeing being the most recent airline-related company to also suspend mandates because of these court decisions. This leaves United Airlines as the only major U.S. carrier left that has an employee vaccination mandate. And they were also the very first ones to impose a vaccine mandate. A U.S. federal court has upheld United's mandate, which requires employees to either vaccinate or take unpaid leave, including those who are exempted for medical or religious reasons. United has stated they will offer exempted employees non-customer-facing roles and those that refuse will be replaced or leave. Elsewhere, Scandinavian Airlines, SAS, has dropped its masking requirement for flights within Scandinavia. In New Zealand, at least three Air New Zealand pilots who have suffered severe reactions to the Pfizer vaccine, including pericarditis, within 48 hours of the jab. Now, the last thing that you want to have, right, is a pilot who's having a heart attack. And that's why these people, when they put this out, they said, we've got some demands that we want to make. And and they put together a letter. Uh, They had a lot of people who, uh, doctors and others, uh, including Uh, the uh, woman who is a lieutenant colonel in the Army. I forget what her name is, and they don't mention it here. Um, But I've covered that story many times. She's a flight surgeon and uh, training specialist, um, mishaps training training specialist. And she said that uh, she has seen a lot of this risk, seen people who have uh, had reactions after getting the vaccine, and she says, we've got to do a lot of testing on this. And this is what they're saying. We have, have to test the people on a regular basis if you have been vaccinated. They're saying these people need to have an um, electrocardiogram. They need to have um, uh, testing with D-dimer to see that they don't have any blood clotting issues. They need to have some troponin tests because that's a substance that's released when you have a heart attack. That's a, a flag, just like a D-dimer test is a way to tell it blood clots that are even too small to show up visually on an MRI or something like that. Uh, so what they're saying is um, even the uh, electrocardiogram is not sufficient enough. They found that there was a 7.4 times underdiagnosing of actual myocarditis with the electrocardiogram that they need to run a, a PULS, a PLUS test, let's call it a, pol- a pulse test maybe, um, is important as an abstract. Anyway, uh, that's a medical journal called Circulation, as we're talking about cardiac tests. So all of this is there, but then there's one more key thing, and that is the fact that the FDA's own rules say that once a drug has been approved, not authorized, but approved, remember, authorized, they say, oh, yeah, it's authorized, go ahead and use it with caution because it's an emergency. But the approval 
means that they have gone through their multi-year process, three phases of trials. Each of them take uh, one to three years. So you're talking about something that's up to a decade. That's why you know, Fauci and his co-conspirators publicly, I mean, they're not doing this behind a closed door. They're doing it publicly. And I've shown you the video many times and saying, well, how do we get to a situation where we don't have to wait 10 years to inject the entire world? Fauci says, well, you know, we do it from the inside. We do it with disruption and we do it iteratively. That's how we do it. And that's what they're doing. But uh, if you're not going to go through the approval process where they would look at long-term harmful effects, they say if a drug, even if you've done all of that, uh, the FAA has said in the past that if you were taking an FDA fully approved, fully tested drug, if it's only been approved for less than a year, then the uh, FAA requires um, that you uh, at least one year post-marketing experience with a new drug before consideration for certifying pilots to do it. So if you were to take a fully authorized, I'm sorry, not authorized, but approved, a fully approved FDA drug, and they found out about it, they would ground you if that drug has only been in existence for a year. So the FAA would take the additional precaution after the FDA had gone through its entire process normally, the FAA would extend that by another full year before they would approve you to fly. Think about how different that is to what is going on now. Nobody pays any attention. Nobody cares. You know, what if they did that with the Boeing 737 MAX, as I've pointed out many times? Oh, it's no problem. You know, we've had 8,200 flights. Only two of them have crashed. So what's the big deal? It's rare. That's never been the way that the FAA has worked before. They would go the extra mile, an extra year beyond the FDA doing a 10-year test. But they're ignoring that. Now, here's an interesting thing. I don't know if this is um, effective or not, but I saw this article. Uh, this is up on Lou Rockwell. A red wine molecule aborts COVID infection before symptoms or antibodies even arise. And what they're talking about is resveratrol. Now, this is something that is readily available as a supplement everywhere. So it's yet another thing. You know, people can take uh, uh, prophylactically, they take zinc uh, along with quercetin, vitamin C, vitamin D, all these different things. Uh, and uh, this is one more thing that you can take that not only is going to help your body uh, to fight this off, as they point out, resveratrol promotes a type of T-cell that literally aborts infection and symptoms typically seen in these workers. So I won't go through all the, uh, the data that they've done in the study here, but I'll just throw that out there for you for your own benefit. Uh, and again, there's the, uh, the strange story about the nurse who, uh, <laughs> uh, and I'll get to that in a moment, but before I do, I, I want to talk about some of these court cases. Um, the nurse and her Viagra story, because uh, I had a, a listener uh, had an interesting take on that. Um, you know, we have, uh, see if you can pull this up, Travis. I, I, I had this yesterday, and I wanted to talk about this article. Uh, Defense Secretary Austin, uh, it's uh, Def Sec Austin, uh, infected with COVID despite triple vax injections, uh, face mask, and a shield use. Yeah, we're going to talk about that when we... Uh, Oh, you got it. Okay, good. Uh, scroll down and take a look at the second picture there. Look at everywhere he's going. He's got, this guy has had three shots. That one right there. Zoom in on that. 
He has had, I mean, he looks like some kind of a third world dictator with that uh, multicolored ribbon around his neck and a medal hanging there. What is that about? He's wearing a suit. He's not wearing a uniform. This is a guy who's the defense secretary. And um, he's been shot three times <laughs> with the genetic code injection. He's fully masked up and he's got a shield on his face. And he's walking in front of a line of troops who presumably have also been fully jabbed. They also have masks on, and they also have face shields on. And look at this, and it's like, how pathetic has our military become? As far as I'm concerned, this is about as ridiculous as marching around in red high heels, which is what they did to some army troops several years ago. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And so now he has tested with all these precautions. He has just tested positive, he announced. Triple vaxxed, face masked, and shielded. And he still tested uh, positive. None of this stuff. A logical person would say, hmm, looks like it's not working, right? He said, my last meeting with President Biden occurred on Tuesday, December 21st, more than a week before I began to experience symptoms. So I tested negative uh, that morning. I've not been to the Pentagon since Thursday. Uh, so I've only been with a few members of my staff. We were properly masked, socially distanced. We had shields on. We're all vaccinated, but we got it anyway, right? A little bit of schadenfreude for all of you soldiers out there who are seeing this guy attack your life. He wants to kick you out of the military. He wants to take away, you know, your career. A lot of people very close to retiring. No, no, no. We're going to take away your retirement benefits, your medical benefits. And in some of the branches of services, as I reported, they're doing everything to punish these people. That's coming from that guy. That guy right there, uh, the, um, uh, the hired gun for a madman, Biden. Uh, so, yeah, as my doctor made clear to me, uh, my fully vaccinated status means that uh, this, is, this is great. I'm, I'm in good shape with this. He uses that to cheer the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, and so the, the, the vaccine didn't work. The mask didn't work. The shield didn't work. The social distancing didn't work. But I'm sure glad that I did all that because it works. The vaccines work, he said, and they will remain a medical requirement. He can say that and get away with it and not be ridiculed. Isn't that amazing? Even as he gets sick. Uh, as uh, Information Liberation points out, said, whereas Austin is morbid, morbidly obese, clearly needs all the help he can get to survive this cold virus, the majority of the troops that he fired for being unvaccinated are healthy young men, many of whom have had COVID and have recovered without issue. So is Austin ready to deploy to Iran now that he has uh, COVID, despite being triple vaxxed? You know, it's, it's all about a readiness issue, right? Is he ready? What unbelievable hypocrisy and farce. I mean, this guy looks like he's without metal and all the rest of the stuff in his face mask and his shield. It looks like he stepped out of a Marx Brothers movie. Hail, hail for Donia. Jordan Peterson reacted to Pierre, uh, not Pierre, um, Justin Trudeau. Shows how old I am. I always want to call him Pierre Trudeau. Uh, that was his putative father, but if you look at the pictures, I think it's Castro. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah. You look at a picture of Castro next to Justin Trudeau. Uh, and so Justin Trudeau, on December the 22nd, had tweeted, if you're taking care of some last-minute Christmas shopping this week, here's something else you can add to your list, a booster. 
If you're eligible for one but you haven't gotten it yet, please do so now. And if you don't have your first or second dose, now is the time to get it. So Jordan Peterson reacted. He said, I have had the jabs and I've regretted taking them. He says, I will not be getting a booster. He put out on Twitter, he said, uh, up yours, Justin Trudeau. Seriously, you would have to kill me first. Well, uh, maybe, you know, Biden is uh, <laughs> Biden and Austin decide they wanted to take on some of these Navy SEALs who I think are basically saying, uh, before I'll take that jab, you'd have to kill me first. So good luck doing that, Austin. Good luck doing that, uh, Biden. We're going to talk about the court decision that came out about uh, the judge ruling that Navy SEALs can refuse the vaccine, and he's put an injunction behind that as well. We're going to talk about that when we come back. Stay with us. Listening to the David Knight Show. All right, a judge has ruled that Navy SEALs can refuse a vaccine. No COVID 19 exception to the First Amendment, says the judge. This is yet another win for the military versus the Pentagon. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing a bunch of bloated bureaucrats like Secretary of Defense Austin who have taken on the military. This is a U.S. District Judge, Judge Reed O'Connor. He says, quote, the Navy service members in this case seek to vindicate the very freedoms that they have sacrificed so much to protect. He said the COVID-19 pandemic provides the government no license to abrogate those freedoms. There is no COVID-19 exception to the First Amendment. There is no military exclusion from our Constitution. This injunction that he's now put on prevents the Department of Defense from enforcing its COVID vaccine mandate on military service personnel who reject the experimental vaccine on religious grounds. Uh, the mandate from uh, Biden was, and the military was announced back in August of 2021. Dozens of Navy SEALs and others responded by initiating a case against the Biden administration and the Department of Defense when they were denied any religious exemption for the jab. In fact, Several plaintiffs were told, quote, the senior leadership of Navy Special Warfare has no patience or tolerance for service members who refuse COVID-19 vaccination for religious reasons and wants them out of the SEAL community. Many of the SEALs were directly threatened with court-martial or involuntary separation for their persistence in refusing the abortion-tainted injections. Additionally, the Navy warned the elite soldiers, they could have their insignia, this, the uh, seal trident that's displayed on their uniforms, they could have that confiscated. Forcing a member, a service member to choose between their faith and serving their country is important to the Constitution and to America's values, said Mike Berry, their general counsel. Uh, he works for First Liberty Institute, and that is the law firm that is representing the SEALs and is now one in court. They had, as a friend of the court brief, nearly 50 Republican lawmakers, including Ted Cruz, Steve Daines, James Lankford, these are senators, 
they said in their friend of the court brief, quote, no right is more precious than the right to religious liberty. Every year, young men and women of faith across the country bravely choose to join our nation's fighting forces. They do so believing that they may simultaneously serve their country and their God, unquote. Let me just say to people who are not uh, Christians, maybe you're atheists or whatever, this should still be a huge, huge red flag because this is a violation of the Constitution and so many civil rights laws that have been put on the books everywhere. And so the government is acting in an unbelievably arrogant, lawless manner to deny these religious exemptions. And that should concern everybody, whether they uh, have this same religious belief or not. Everybody should be concerned about this kind of lawless tyranny. Uh, Judge O'Connor's order marks just the latest blow in the Biden administration's efforts to force these injections. Uh, The order also comes just days before the U.S. Supreme Court is scheduled to hear two arguments on additional cases regarding the COVID jab mandates. And that is a key thing. Because understand that not only are the Supreme Court justices politically appointed, but they are very, very political animals, as you saw when it came to uh, adjudicating what happened with the election. I mean, look at how politicized the Supreme Court has become. They didn't have a problem hearing uh, the court case when you had uh, the situation in the 2000 election. Uh, They still looked at it. And maybe what they came away from that was uh, that they took a lot of criticism for making that decision. They just didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. And none of the judges did. But I tell you, when you have these lower court decisions, even if they're not, um, even if they can be overturned by the Supreme Court, I think that's still going to carry a lot of weight with the Supreme Court. I mean, uh, you know, look at the win-loss and tie record that you've had from Biden so far. He had a major setback uh, in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, Fifth Circuit Court, I should say. And um, in the Fifth Circuit Court, uh, this guy slammed the OSHA requirement in, in just about every way. He said, first of all, you have no authority to do this. Where is the emergency? Uh, you did this. You took two months to put out a regulation. And then after you put that out, you delayed the the effective date yet another month. So we're talking about some four months, right? Because he said, well, you know, three, three months from now, you're going to be forced to do this. But then they took two months to do regulations. And then they extended the deadline out another two months. So the judge says, I, I don't buy that this is an emergency. And that was my key criticism. But he also slammed them down on every other aspect of that at the Fifth Circuit Court. And uh, you've had a judge that is you know, found against uh, Biden on one of these other aspects, and that is using financial blackmail from CMS, that's the people that pay Medicare and Medicaid, using financial blackmail to blackmail the hospitals into forcing the doctors and nurses to get the shot. They've lost on that in court as well. So they've lost on the OSHA thing. They've lost on CMS. uh, And you've had uh, other losses for these other things. My count on it is at least... Uh, and eventually, what he did was they appealed that OSHA decision to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. It was first heard by a three-judge panel, and Biden had a narrow win, you know, two to three, uh, two to one rather, out of you know, two to one out of the three judges. So then the entire Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals said, "No, we'll hear it as a group." They call that en banc. And so you had all sixteen of the judges rule on it. And when they did that, 
it was tied eight to eight. Now, what they said was, since the preliminary hearing, the smaller one, had decided in favor of the Biden administration and we're tied, that's the one that's going to move forward. But if you look at his win-loss record, the way I see that, that that's one win where he won uh, where he won two to one in a three-judge panel, and then subsequently in that same court law, uh, tied. Okay, so he's got one win, one tie, and at least four losses. I'd say five now because of this this one. I'd been counting them up. So I think it's it's five, one win, five losses, and a tie. I don't think he's going to get in the playoffs. Do you? <laughs> Uh, I don't think he's going to get that Super Bowl ring. Uh, so the federal judge has now backed the seals as 35 of them who sued. And um, he wrote as he wrote a 26-page injunction. And this is what is different from this other very, very important decision, distinguishing between Cormenati uh, being, um, quote-unquote, approved by the FDA and the uh, the actual thing that they're injecting people with, which is the Pfizer emergency use authorization. So the judge distinguished between those two, but he did not put an injunction. This judge did. So uh, Judge O'Connor, 26-page injunction, he said, quote, the loss of religious liberties outweighs any forthcoming harm to the Navy. He said, even the direst circumstances cannot justify the loss of constitutional rights. Uh, The um, Washington Post described it saying uh, the troops cited Christian beliefs that they should not take a vaccine developed from an aborted fetal cell line, and they saw a modification of their bodies as an affront to their creator. Uh, Those are a couple of the points that are made in that excellent letter uh, from a a listener who is in the military, and that letter did help a lot of people. and I've got a, an update from him uh, uh, about that, a comment about that. Marine Corps spokesman Captain Ryan Bruce told Fox News that as of Thursday, I talked about this yesterday, 3,080 of the 3,192 requests for religious accommodations had been processed and zero had been approved, adding that, quote, no religious accommodations have been approved for any other vaccine in the past seven years. So the Marines underneath the Navy, like the SEALs. Now, this is from the individual who wrote the, uh, you know, I, I, we've been giving people uh, his multi-point uh, thing. So you can say, you know, you look at it and you say, well, you know, yeah, I agree with that one. And you can put it in your own words. And a lot of people have used that successfully to get a religious exemption. Now, he comments about this, um, you know, what are they telling people when they keep saying nobody's gotten a religious exemption? He said, I just heard Tucker Carlson report. But the Air Force has not granted a single religious exemption. However, one of my coworkers claims that his Air Force neighbor did in fact receive an approved exemption. I verified this was uh, this that this is and was religious and not medical. I can't imagine that his neighbor would have any reason to lie about it. So it makes me wonder if the claims of blanket denials are a tactic to wear us down while we wait for the disposition of our request. That's a very good point. I would not put that past them to do that. You know, they, they use push polls all the time in politics. Uh, and by that, I mean, they will, you know, you got to, uh, you load it up with uh, a disproportionate number of people from your party to make your party's candidate look better. 
and then you release that as a story. So they do that kind of subtle messaging, or not so subtle messaging, all the time. Uh, so uh, he says, it makes me wonder if all this stuff about them not approving anything, uh, certainly the vast majority of people, peers, are not being, now, but he says, are they just trying to wear us down? Because that's what he has seen where he is, I, I pointed out, that he said, um, you got a lot of people now, you had some people who took it, uh, but he said very, very few people that he knew took it because they believed in it. They took it because they were rewarded to take it or they were uh, facing being fired to take it. And he said, now a lot of people have said, well, I'm not, you know, when they change the definition of fully vaxxed, I'm not taking any more boosters. But he said, if they, he says, I think they will, because if they really were committed to what they were doing, they would have stood up from the very beginning. And if all of us would have stood up instead of being coerced one by one, we wouldn't be in this situation now. Just take a look at Southwest Airlines or some of these other airlines. It's because the people stood up to it en masse. Take a look at New York, of all places, where you have the, the MTA, the uh, transportation workers. They all stood up en masse. And even in New York, as badly as the governors and the mayors there want everybody to be jabbed, they had to back off of that because they couldn't continue to operate with 10% of the workforce gone. So if people would stand up, and that's the thing, you've got to, at this point, that's what needs to be done, is, is standing up. He's exactly right about that. So he says, we know, do know that the Marines have kicked out a bunch of people. But as I understand it, it was because they did not get the shot and failed to apply for an exemption by the deadline. And that's different than a denial. So those people would have been relieved for failure to follow a lawful order. So I'll check back with my coworker and see if I can get some more proof from his neighbor. It is true. Uh, if it is true that the military is lying about denials, uh, so that'll be something to think about. Are they doing that to put even more pressure on the people who have refused to do it so far? A, um, so when we look at this latest, this is an injunction now. And this should, this is a big story because by doing an injunction, this should stop the Department of Defense. Uh, in its tracks. But of course, the Supreme Court is now going to hear this in just a couple of days. And that's really where this decision is going to be. Doesn't, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've talked many times about judicial supremacy, about, especially about the Supreme Court's position in all this. Uh, and uh, we should not let that rule our lives. We need to use nullification, the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, to take away that kind of superiority. But right now, uh, that's what these people are going to, they're going to continue to move ahead with that, whether or not it's legitimate in the same way that they're moving ahead with things, regardless of whether or not the approval uh, was a legitimate approval. It was not. And that's why I talked about how important that case is from that other federal judge. Now, this is a case, again, going back to November the 12th, and uh, this was a military case. And I said, this case has implications for every one of these blackmail events. And remember, we had an executive order from Biden for the military. We had an executive order from Biden for federal workers. Then he ran it through OSHA for private companies, and he ran it through CMS to blackmail the medical people, right? But in every one of these cases, there is no, as specifically prohibited by law, for any of these private companies or for the government or anyone to coerce you or to demand that you take something that is not approved, 
that merely has an emergency authorization. Again, authorization versus approval. And as I pointed out yesterday, this other judge uh, in this November the 12th decision, this is also a uh, federal district judge. And um, his name is Judge Windsor, uh, no D in that, uh, W-I-N-S-O-R. Judge Windsor went through it and they said, okay, so we're looking at whether or not this is truly an approval. This is a lawsuit that was filed by Children's Health Defense. And he said, the, uh, you have made the statement that they're chemically identical, but they're legally distinct. And there's a legal distinction between authorized and approved. And so he goes, so explain how that works. Do you have any Corminati that you say that you approve? Do you have any of those available? Or are you using the ones that have emergency use authorization? And as he continued to question them on that, he said, okay, so what you're trying to tell me is that somehow when they approved something that was a different label, you notice how we're talking about something that's off-label and how they're coming after people's medical licenses or uh, we've got in New Hampshire, they're coming after uh, parents who have given their kids ivermectin because they're using it off-label. Well, the uh, government and the people who are trying to mandate this, they're using a off-label approach, if you will. I mean, this is not labeled and it's not approved. It is an emergency drug and you can't force that. And so he called him out and he said, so you're saying it's legally distinct? All right, we're in a court of law. It's not the same thing then. And so I'm not going to let you get away with that. In his view, he said that they are, even though they may be chemically identical, you say they are, but I can't get any explanation from the FDA. Can't get any explanation beyond that from Pfizer. And, of course, the media, as I reported yesterday, uh, followed up on that, the Ohio Star, the National File. They could not get any further clarification from the FDA or Pfizer. See, they're playing a game. This is a legal prevarication. They're playing games with these terms. They're playing games with the terms of authorized and approved, with Corminati versus the Pfizer EUA. He says, instead, the Department of Defense argues that once the FDA licensed Corminati, all the EUA-labeled vials essentially became Corminati, even if they were not labeled as such. Thus, the DOD argues that the product injected is a chemical formulation that received the full FDA approval and licensure. So he said, and the, the reality is, is that under EUA, it is your choice to receive or to not receive the vaccine. Should you not re receive it, it will not change your medical care. U.S. law allows employers and schools to require students and workers to take licensed vaccines. And so that's the game that they're playing. Now, even though he said all of that, he didn't put an injunction on it, and that's what this judge did yesterday with the Navy SEALs case. He put an injunction on it. This other judge back in November 12th, he wouldn't go through that and put an injunction on it. He said, well, you know, I don't – he ripped it apart, and he said, we'll have a trial coming up next September. But he wouldn't stop it in the meantime. But if you have a lawsuit, and, of course, maybe all these things will be decided by the Supreme Court, I don't know how many of these different blackmail tactics – that Biden is doing will be decided by the Supreme Court. But if there's any uh, situation with this or if there's any, if you want to sue, if you lose your job and you want to sue these people, you go back to that, that judge's decision. Even though he didn't put an injunction on there, that decision about that 
those, those legal tricks that are being played. That decision applies to each and every one of these Biden blackmail dictates, every single one of them it applies to. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Has your news been censored, banned, censored, banned over and over again? Has vital information been held prisoner by mainstream and anti-social media? It's the duty of every thinking person to make the great escape to thedavidnightshow.com. There you'll find links to live streams, videos, audio podcasts, and support links. Live stream the show at DLive and every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern. Videos at BitChute and YouTube. New audio podcast, The Real David Knight Show, at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, and more. But even though there's a light at the end of the tunnel, without your support, the show will run out of gas. The links to support the show are at thedavidnightshow.com to donate via Subscribestar, donate via or donate via Cash App, Bitcoin, or P.O. Box. Our sincere thanks to all of you who have stood with us to get this far. Please don't forget to share the links and pray for the country as well as our family. We have Greg Abbott, who has now come in with the National Guard aspect. He says he's going to file a lawsuit uh, against the Biden administration. He says, unless President Biden federalizes the Texas National Guard in accordance with Title 10 of the U.S. Code, he is not your commander-in-chief under our federal or state constitutions. And as long as I am your commander-in-chief, I will not tolerate the efforts to compel receipt of a COVID-19 vaccine. Let me be crystal clear. It is the federal government that has put Texas Guardsmen in this difficult position. As your commander-in-chief, I will fight on your behalf. That is why I'm suing the Biden administration over its latest unconstitutional vaccine mandate. Now, we've had the governor of Oklahoma as well as the head of the Oklahoma Guard that he um, put in. Uh, both stood up against this. Uh, they have, uh, that has been, um, that has failed, has been reported. Uh, I saw that in the RT. I did not see that it had failed, a lawsuit they said that ultimately failed, that sought to block the mandates from the Guard, and that was uh, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. So they say that lawsuit failed. I had not seen that. But um, he knows that this is really kind of virtue signaling, Abbott does, I think. Because he even says, if unvaccinated guardsmen suffer any adverse consequences within the state of Texas— they will only have President Biden and his administration to blame. It's not me. <laughs> That's kind of what he said about private employers and about local state, uh, local uh, jurisdictional government doing that type of thing. If they do it, I don't want to do it to you. But, you know, I'm not going to stop a private company from uh, trying to force you out of your job with an experimental vaccine. Nah, not going to do that. No, nah, I can't touch the private company. So this is the kind of attitude he's had, whereas DeSantis has actually come out with uh, his own matching set of penalties. It's like, okay, well, um, Biden wants to penalize you if you um, 
don't vaccinate if you if you fire if you don't if you have anybody who is unvaccinated, Biden wants to penalize you for that uh, financially. Uh, if you push people out of your company because they're not vaccinated, I'll give you financial penalties as well. <laughs> so it puts them in a position uh, of uh, damned if they do and damned if they don't. But it's a different way to approach this than just doing a a lawsuit. And again, if um, Biden wants to get around it, all he has to do is go through a formal declaration saying that he's activated the guard and then he can require them to get uh, to have that done. Uh, the right way to approach this, Governor Abbott, is to read the Constitution. You're a lawyer. So read the Constitution. Read the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. Where in the Constitution does it give the president the right to tell me that I've got to inject a uh, substance into my body, regardless of the nature of the substance. Where in the Constitution does it say, oh, it's not there? Oh, well, then the Ninth and Tenth Amendment says he doesn't have that power. It's just that simple. You need to start nullifying. You need to start standing up for our Constitution that you took an oath to defend. And that means that you nullify these unconstitutional orders. He says it's unconstitutional, but he won't stop it. That's the most disgusting aspect of this. All these state officials who will uh, say one thing and do another, and that is exactly what is happening. He won't stand up for your rights to protect you against private employers, and he won't stand up even when Biden is doing something unconstitutional. He will not use his power under the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. And I've said this many times. I had... um, had had a uh, supporter who sent me a, a letter and and um, a Christian and and he said don't get too upset with Todd Friel. <laughs> it's like I you know I, I think he's a Christian. It's like, I, I I'm not judging him being a Christian or not. I'm just saying that um, when you tell people that uh, they have to do anything that the government tells you. And he was adamant about that. He said, if they tell you to put propellers on the side of your head, you got to put propellers on the side of your head. Well, if they tell you to harm yourself or they tell you to harm other people, if they tell you to do evil, it ought to be pretty easy to discern that that's not something that you are obligated to do, no matter what kind of you know, interpretation games you want to play. I think the Bible is pretty clear. God hates lying, and he hates corruption, and he especially hates it with people who are in positions of authority. And so, you know, I don't, I don't question, I, you know, I like Todd Friel, um, and, um, you know, I wish him well with what he's doing, but I will oppose him. It's just, you know, everybody looks at things as, as if they are uh, personal issues, you know, because I say things pretty strongly. I I, uh, you know, I, I get pretty adamant about my opinions, but uh, it's about the policy and it's about being a, an influence and the influence that he's having. In the same way that I, I look at this with Alex, I'm glad to be gone from InfoWars. I really am. And I appreciate those of you who have allowed this broadcast to continue. Uh, I'd much rather be doing this than working there. It grieved me to no end to see the lies and misinformation that were being done while I was there. And when there's lies and misinformation still going on with the amount of influence that he has, I am compelled to oppose that, just like I would do it if 
for Mark Levin or Ben Shapiro or Sean Hannity or whatever, putting out mis- I disagree with them. I'm going to say something about it. I have to say something about it. I, I look at the situation and what the analogy I would make is that, you know, somebody standing in the street and I see a, a, a truck headed toward them and they're looking the other way and they don't know what's happening. Now, I can't get to them to actually stop it, but I can shout out the window, look out. And, and that's what I'm doing here. I'm telling people, you better watch out. There's a Mack truck coming for you. As a matter of fact, there's several vehicles headed for where you're standing right now from a lot of different directions. Whether it's to enslave you with this globalist technocracy they call the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainability, or whether it's to harm you. And, and again, not everybody takes this vaccine is going to die. It's, I've made the analogy before, and I've even played the clip, the visuals of the deer hunter. One of, you know, this, is, this is like playing Russian roulette. And that very, very powerful clip, I mean, watch it. on You can find it on YouTube, just that little clip of the Russian roulette uh, scene. You got Robert De Niro and you got um, uh, Christopher Walken. Uh, they're prisoners of war in this Vietnam prison camp, and these guys decide they're going to have them play a game of Russian roulette. Very powerfully done by those two actors. So these guys are yelling at him, do it now, do it now, or saying, Mao, Mao, you know, do it. And, and you know, they are freaking out and crying, and they, but they, you know, pull the trigger a couple of times, and, um, you know, then some things happen. But that is what is being done right now by Biden, by the people you work for, maybe. They've handed you a gun, and you don't know if it's one chamber that is loaded out of six, or maybe this gun has got a thousand chambers and there's one bullet in there. Maybe that's what the odds are. But they're still, in principle, they've got you playing Russian roulette. Nobody has a right to do that. And when somebody who is a Christian starts telling Christians that they have to do that, they have to play that game because this person's in authority, I have to oppose that. Uh, Nothing personal, nothing about, you know, we can all be wrong about things. And I think he's honest. I don't think he's bought off. I think he's honestly wrong. Uh, But uh, I have to tell people about this horrific thing, about the vaccine right now, the health effects of it. And again, they're going to take something that has been the product of the murder of innocent children, and then they're going to give that to you so that you can play Russian roulette. And then they're going to Take a look at the other aspect of this. You're going to modify your body. This is something that is a mark of the beast system. If you don't have any discernment about that, can't you see that coming? Yeah, it's going to be, it's, it's iterative, it's disruptive, it's from the inside, but it is every day. It's getting closer and closer to exactly what it is. And I think that's what it is. I think it's coming gradually. I think there'll always be deception about it so that you can always rationalize. Well, I know it kind of looks like it. It sounds like it. It smells like it. It walks and talks like it. But it isn't it. It isn't it. Can't be it. Right. Okay. Opponents of vaccine mandates have scored a victory in the federal court for Head Start employees. Yet another victory. So, okay, so let's make it now uh, one win. (laughs) Six losses and a tie for Biden, if that's the I don't know how many of these things he's lost. He's lost a whole bunch of them. Head Start employees will now be required to get a COVID-19 
will not be required to get a COVID-19 vaccine to keep their job, according to a federal court ruling on Saturday. A federal district court handed a victory to 24 states who sued over the requirement. Uh, Judge Terry Doughty said the move by Biden unlawfully bypassed the powers of Congress. Now, this is yet another reason. Now, and this is what's important about these lower court decisions. Of course, they're all going to be wiped out by whatever the Supreme Court ultimately decides to do. And this isn't the way that we should fight it anyway. Now, I, you fight it. In, I, well, I won't say that. We should fight it in every way that we can fight it. But again, I think the most important thing is to have a, a governor who's going to stand up and say, this, you don't have the constitutional authority to do that. Under the Constitution, my power overrides yours. Now, the practical aspects of that, however, are going to be that the fines are going to be accessed by Biden. If he wins in court, they'll be accessed. These fines will flow through the banking system. See, it all goes back to the bankers, because that's what this is all ultimately about anyway, about resetting our financial system. That's the key thing for the coming technocratic slavery, the central bank digital currencies, and uh, being able to monitor and control everything that you do. And uh, all this began well before uh, the executive orders were out there. Uh, but uh, every one of these court cases, so you got one court case, the Navy SEALs, he puts an injunction on it as well, the one that just came out. He says, that's about the First Amendment. You violated the First Amendment. And uh, you can't violate the First Amendment because you say that it's an emergency. That's even more important than the emergencies. Uh, you know, we have um, uh, in the military, right, in order to defend the Constitution, we're told, that's what they're doing, uh, that they risk their lives. They do all kinds of things in order to defend the Constitution. And so the judge says they've laid it on the line to defend the Constitution, so you don't get to say, well, I think this is a real scary cold that's going around, so we're going to make you do some really scary things about that. Now you had another judge that says, uh, this is not really approved. You're playing legal games between authorization and approval. Now this judge is saying that if you were going to do something like that, it can't be done by a bureaucracy. It has to be done by Congress. You see all these different aspects, all these different court cases. The judges are saying, no, you violated this. Another one says you violated this other thing. Another judge says you violated this other thing. I think, I hope cumulatively that those are going to have uh, a, a lot of impact on the Supreme Court. But it all depends. Who knows what you're going to get. Like I've said, the Supreme Court is like a box of chocolates. It's a Forrest Gump movie. You never know what you're going to get. The rule required universal masking for Head Start children, two years and older. <laughs> and, of course, it, they've ignored that aspect of it. But it also mandated all staffers, contractors, and volunteers be vaccinated by January the 31st. Uh, the judge says... The issue in this case is not whether individuals should take the COVID vaccine, but whether federal agencies, federal agencies can mandate individuals to take the vaccine or be fired. So you don't want to get in. Nobody wants to take on the pharmaceutical companies directly. Oh, I love the vaccine. I just don't like the mandate. Well, at least that's something. He says in this court's opinion, the executive branch has declared it has the authority to make laws through federal agencies. If the executive branch is allowed to usurp the power of the legislative branch to make laws, then this country is no longer a democracy. 
I've been talking about this for a long time. As a matter of fact, so has Rand Paul. Rand Paul, I used to applaud him on an annual basis. He would introduce what he called the Reins Act, R-E-I-N-S, like the reins of a horse. you got to rein this thing in. I forget what, what it stood for. But what he was attacking was the fact that the bureaucratic uh, agencies had essentially decided that they were going to write the laws. You know, when Nancy Pelosi said, we got to pass Obamacare so we can find out what's in it, she was actually being very honest with you. They create these agencies, they give them a general mission, and then they write all the details, and the devil is in the details. This all began with the IRS. You know, they'd say, well, we got an income tax, but we'll leave it up to the IRS to figure out, you know, all the rest of this stuff. And occasionally they'll come in and they'll, you know, they'll give them some more guidance on some specific write-offs or deductions or whatever. Uh, but there's a lot of discretion that is left there by the IRS. And this is something that has been happening one agency after the other. The FAA a few years ago when you had uh, – they wanted to assert their power to register drones. And they went a little bit too far. You know, they came up with an outrageous fine of $20,000 if you did not register your drone. I said, if you register, it's only like you know, $5, $10, $25 or something like some nominal fee. But if we catch you not doing that. $20,000 fine. And they took it all the way down to what was essentially toy drones. Uh, the, the weight and the size of the drone was so small, and that blew up in their face. But you see them doing it again in terms of you know, the FAA saying, we're going to give people massive fines if they don't wear the masks on the planes. And, and they've given people excessive fines. So when the and, and that's all the basis of civil asset forfeiture, which Joe Biden was a big part of that. He wrote that, and it was passed during the uh, Reagan administration. But he was the major player in that, and he's bragged about it, and he's right to take credit for that, or I should say the blame. With civil asset forfeiture as part of the war on drugs, you could uh, and can still, in most places it hasn't been stopped, uh, you could um, confiscate property. You could charge the property if you thought that the property was somehow involved in a transaction, uh, drugs or something like that. Uh, you had uh, one famous case was a guy who had a charter flight business. He flew two businessmen, suits with a briefcase. He flew them from the U.S. to Canada for the day and then flew them back at the end of the day. When he lands, his plane is surrounded by government agents with guns drawn. They arrest these two guys, and they impound the plane. He goes, wait a minute. I didn't know anything about that. I just flew these two guys. I didn't know anything about a drug deal. Say, well, we know that. We're not charging you. We're charging the plane with a crime. And if you want to get it back, you have to sue us in court and prove your innocence. We're just going to take your plane. And they put him out of business. He eventually got it back, but it was a pyrrhic victory. And so that type of thing, you know, where bureaucrats just make up the rules, you don't have when they say, well, you violated the bureaucratic rules. That's why they call it civil asset forfeiture. They say, well, if this was something that was done by the legislature, then the constitutional protections of, you know, trial by your peers, trial by jury, uh, that they have to find you guilty before they punish you. Uh, that uh, you have the presumption of innocence, all those things would apply. But since you violated a rule by the bureaucracy, none of those things apply. And so what we're seeing with what has happened in the last couple of years, they've bypassed the rule of law completely. It's a medical and bureaucratic dictatorship, and so this judge has called him out on it. And I have to say, why hasn't Rand Paul, 
Rand Paul has opposed this tactic for the longest time. Why did Rand Paul stay completely silent when this happened all through 2020? Why is he still silent in 2021? And why is he still silent today in 2022? Because this is exactly what he has opposed. The way I always put it, I said, you know, we had the American Revolution because we had taxation without representation. What we have now is we have legislation without representation by these bureaucracies. And, of course, we also have taxation and fines and all this other stuff by these without representation. That's the angle that this judge took as he took them down. All right, we've got much more to say, but I'm going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. The David Knight Show. This Reason Magazine article, if it's really a pandemic of the unvaccinated, quote unquote, Mr. President, Mr. Biden President, why is my vaccinated six-year-old wearing a mask? I saw this headline. I laughed out loud and my son said, uh, well, uh, <laughs> it's because you have no spine because you wouldn't stand up to these people because you vaccinated your kid because they just told you so. That's uh, Matt Welch at Reason Magazine. So he says, so. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Why are you punishing my six-year-old by making me vaccinate him and put a mask on him and everything? Because you're a spineless bootlicker, Matt. Come on. <laughs> I don't understand the cognitive dissonance. Yeah, keep thinking about that. That's kind of uh, the way Alex Berenson put it. He said, uh, just ask these people, you know, like Matt Walsh, <laughs> Welch, uh, ask them uh, if the vaccines work, what's going on? And that's the question he's asking himself. That's about time. New Hampshire State Agency, they're essentially their version of Child Protective Services. Most places call it uh, CPS in New Hampshire. You know, the live, free, or die state. Uh, the Department of Children, Youth, and Families is what they call it. They made a move to separate a teenage boy from his father and mother because the father administered ivermectin to the young man in order to treat COVID. And so this article uh, sent to me, trialsitenews.com, says, uh, how far will the authorities go now to declare how people living in the U.S. will take care of themselves and their family members? In New Hampshire, they possess, this uh, you know, CPS, we'll call them, possesses considerable authority when it comes to matters of child neglect, abuse, and other relevant matters. But what about a case when an off-label treatment is used? Because we understand what the safety profile is for this. So the worst case that could happen is, you know, it's very well understood. And as a New Hampshire representative, uh, Cole Fault said, there are many, many over-the-counter medications that pose far more danger than ivermectin. Why would you take a child away? Well, because they can't. New York's governor, Kathy Hochul, has extended the state's mask requirement and at the same time, she's scolding the unvaccinated. Well, why don't you talk to AOC about why she went to Florida and uh, did not wear a mask down there? Okay? Uh, major staffing shortages at the New York Police Department, the Fire Department of New York, 
due to a COVID surge. 21% of the members of the New York Police Department were out sick last Thursday. 30% of EMS, 17% of the fire department out. Uh, does that matter? No, it doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, the new mayor, who was a you know, police officer, police chief or something, I forget exactly what Eric Adams was, but he was with the police department. When he comes in, he says, no, we're going to keep those vaccine mandates and we're considering the booster mandate, but you know we won't put that in until um, April at the earliest. Well, what he's doing is he's just doing that on schedule, right? So you know, we're going to continue. We're going to fire you if you don't get it. We've already got massive shortages, uh, you know, 30% of EMS, 17% of the fire department, 21% of the police department. They're all gone, but, you know, uh, we're going to continue with these mandates. And then we're going to add the booster in April. He said, we'll do an analysis around April, depending on what the Department of Health tells us, and we'll see if we want to mandate them. I am sick and tired of these people operating as tyrants. They're doing this under color of law. They're doing this under a color of authority. They have no authority to do this. We've got to stop complying with this. He said, right now, public sector employees are required to be fully vaccinated. A vaccine mandate for private sector workers went into place December 27th. He's going to keep it there. He's you know, no better than de Blasio when it comes to this stuff. You know, you got the drunken rant on CNN. I think his name was Andy Cohen or something. I don't know who he was. But, you know, he said, yeah, one thing Republicans and Democrats can agree on is we all hate de Blasio. Why? Because he's running, he's run the city into the ground in every way that you can imagine. And this guy is going to continue on with his policies. Why? Because nobody gets on the ballot unless they're going to toe the line. It's professional wrestling, folks. That's what politics is, especially in New York. Uh, Donald Trump's hometown. <laughs> if you can fake it there, you can fake it anywhere, right? Last Thursday, Eric Adams said he will keep in place the city's private sector mandates. That's right. And, you know, it was funny because as he was getting sworn in, I talked about this, big group of family members, he's holding up a picture of his mama. And that's what we saw when we turned on to, to look at the ball dropping in New York. We saw politics, politics, and we saw absurd politics. He had one I think his family member standing behind him, guys grinning, really happy, no mask. Everybody else is all masked up and it's like, so what's with this? And then as he starts to swear in, he's, he's mumbling through his mask. So he pulls his mask off. So Eric Adams and a friend or a family member behind him is not wearing a mask. Everybody else is masked up. It's like, oh, this is just a joke, just a sick joke. Eric Adams says, you know, I, I'm worried that we're going to have a serious threat because, you know, all these mandates and everything, you know, but he's going to continue on with them. He goes, that accountant from the bank that sits in the office is not only him. It's our entire financial ecosystem. He goes out to a restaurant, assuming he's got fully vaccinated, right? And assuming that all the waitresses haven't been fired for not being fully vaccinated. So he goes out to a restaurant. He brings the business travel, which is 70% of our hotel occupancy, and he participates in the economy. But they can't do their jobs remotely. I need companies back open and operating. It's his needs. See, it's his needs. It's not your needs. It's all about him. All of these politicians. You cannot run a city like New York on 30% occupancy in buildings. Hey, Eric, why don't you stop trying to run the city? Because you're not smart enough. 
None of these people are. It all goes back to the fact that, I mean, just take a look at why centrally controlled economies always fail. They simply know, even if you've got the smartest people there, they don't have enough information to make an intelligent decision. The, it's like the difference between having a CPU that's got a bottleneck <laughs> and doesn't have enough sensors uh, to really you know, have feedback as to what's going on versus a neural net computer where you have uh, all these different nodes that may not be as smart as you guys in City Hall or in the White House, but we're there and we see what's happening. And we do have intelligence and we can make decisions and the collective decisions of the free marketplace will always be much, much, much better than the five-year plans of our Marxist dictators. And then you got this guy. I saw that he was trending. I meant to talk about this a couple of days ago. Scott Adams, the uh, Dilbert cartoonist and authoritarian. This guy, uh, and I, you know, he's an interesting, glib person to talk to. I've interviewed him multiple times when I was at InfoWars. Uh, you know, Alex wanted to have him on because he was a Trump supporter. And, uh, yeah, he had some interesting comments to say. But he has been off the charts when it comes to cheerleading authoritarianism. And I think a lot of other people have finally had it with him. Uh, I'd had enough of him at the very beginning of this, quite frankly. But he had this to say, and it got him trending. He said, if you're unvaccinated, you are in the middle of a deadly pandemic. But if you're, but if you're vaccinated, it's simply Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that's his smart aleck way of saying, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's not. You can spread it. You're getting sick with it if you're vaccinated. You can spread it. You can get sick with it. As a matter of fact, you're getting sick with it at a much higher rate than the unvaccinated people if you actually look at the data. But he says, uh, then he goes on to say, as if you didn't already realize that this guy was so full of himself that it's uh, disgusting. He says, I am the best predictor in the country. Oh, are you really? Scott Adams. And I don't see any way to be certain about the vaccinations. Well, uh, why don't you, uh, it's not that you have to be certain. They have to be certain. They haven't done the test. And when somebody comes to me and cuts off all the tests, then tries to bribe me to take it, and then after the bribe doesn't work, they try to force me, and they get increasingly, uh, you know, the, the force that they're applying continues to get worse and worse. Uh, that starts to raise my suspicion. A thinking person would uh, say that. Here's, what he, here's a screenshot of what he had to say. He said, uh, you can't be certain that you made the right vaccination choice and also believe in science. That would be inconsistent. I believe in science. Again, what does he even mean? I believe, I'm with science. Well, you can if you look at the information and the data and you apply critical thinking, uh, that is really what science is, Scott. He says, 95% of you will disagree with me, insisting that you made a rational decision. I know that I didn't. Well, I'm, I know that he didn't either. Uh, once you realize that you didn't make a rational decision, then we can talk. And on and on. So um, he... <laughs> He says, the funniest part of the pandemic punditry is that our data was so bad, only the people who interpreted it incorrectly made good predictions. This is just nothing but sophistry. Uh, 
One last quote here from Scott Adams here that he did over the weekend. This is, uh, you know, New Year's Eve. He's doing This is what he's doing on New Year's Eve, by the way. <laughs> Must be a real happy, successful person. Must be great living with somebody like this, don't you think? Can someone give me an example of what the government or Big Pharma lied about? Not including masks, he said. Well, he admits now they lied about masks. He says, uh, that's not just a, something that they lied about that is not just a case of being optimistic and wrong. Okay, well, one person said nobody has ever fallen off harder or faster than Scott Adams. Absolutely pathetic to watch. It's Chris Hardman who said that. But this is what I said. He didn't fall fast. He's been there for a long time. He fell for the narrative very quickly. Look at this tweet. And uh, he put out on April the 11th, 2020. It was not quite a month that we'd been under the Fauci Trump emergency. And Scott Adams, many of us were looking at this, and I was getting increasingly angry by the day because, you know, we were told it's going to be two weeks to, we had to lock down or to, you know, save the hospitals from the surge. And here we are a month later, a month later, and uh, anybody who was thinking realized that it was a lie from the very beginning, frankly. But a month later, he says, it's getting harder to distinguish freedom lovers from sociopaths. And I retweeted to him and I said, it's getting harder to distinguish pragmatists from totalitarians. Uh, that is uh, where it is. And he's been doing this all along. Um, and uh, <laughs> I also said to him, I said, uh, Scott Adams is now telling people that any concerns about the vaccine passports are unfounded. Now, that was a year later, April the 13th, 2021. So he was telling everybody, if you're a freedom lover in April 11th of 2020, if you're a freedom lover, you're a sociopath. And then a year later, he's cheering the vaccine passports. And I said, uh, so now he's telling us that any concerns about vaccine passports are unfounded. And uh, he said, all of civilization is built on restricting your freedom. That's what it is. You don't build a civilization to give people freedom. I said, well, that's not America. The purpose of America, this guy knows nothing about science. He's incapable of critical thought. He knows nothing about the foundation of this country. This country was founded on freedom. It was founded on religious liberty and all the rest of the freedoms that were necessary for it. Travis, pull up the uh, picture of uh, sheep form a syringe to promote vaccination. Th this is, I think, the perfect picture, but unintentional, absolutely unintentional. This was uh, being cheered by the guy who did it. He didn't realize that um, he was really kind of the picture that he was putting out there. He had uh, 700 sheep and goats, and he wanted to promote vaccination. So he decided what he would do. Yeah, zoom in on that. <laughs> the, 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 the stupidity and the irony of these people. This guy takes a bunch of sheep. And I guess he put something on the ground for them to eat, and he arranges them in the shape of a hypodermic needle. You know, it's like like you get a marching band to do something so that you can see it from an aerial view. So they got a drone shot from above, and you see this picture of all these sheep that are in the shape of a hypodermic needle. Now, when I look at that, that sends a completely different meme to me. <laughs> he says, I was thinking about what contribution I could make to combating the pandemic. Well, I think that you did a very good job of combating 
the herd mentality of the sheep who are lining up to get their shots. That's all pictured right there, right there. Italy is considering completely banning unvaccinated people from the workplace. See, this is how this works. You know, it's just priceless, that quote from Fauci. How do we do this? We do it from the inside. We do it with disruption, and we do it iteratively. In other words, step by step, gradual. And so how has this worked out? You know, well, in Italy, they're saying that they're only going to allow the super green pass. You know, they get a green pass. The green pass says that you've been shot or you've been tested. But then the super green pass says you've been shot. And that can only be uh, achieved now. Uh, if uh, they're going to rule out a negative COVID test to allow you to work. So you've got to get the vaccine to, get, to work. Uh, this is not about a disease. This is about a mark of the beast system. That's what it is. Uh, you will take the vaccine or you'll not have a job. And they've said that. Uh, so it's iterative, as Fauci said. You know, you begin with bribery. Then you start uh, requiring it. But you leave a little bit of wiggle room there for people, you know, not all of a sudden, you know, well, you can, you know, you got to take tests and now you got to wear a mask to show that you can comply. And then uh, we're going to let you work only if you get the shot or if you get the test. Then they, the next step is they say, well, now we're going to start charging you for the test. And then you get to the point where it's like, well, no, you can't do anything unless you got the shot. You see how it works? It's gradual. It's gradual. They're not going to run it all out at once. They're not going to be honest about the fact this is the mark of the beast. They're just going to hit you with it, graduate step at a time, and move you in there. Uh, and then, of course, you know, if you don't, the next part of this is uh, if you don't have the, the jab, uh, you're not going to be able to shop except for food. And then we're going to take the food loophole away from you. And then we're going to do what they're doing in China, and that is we're just going to lock you in your home, or we're going to come take you out, as I reported yesterday, take you out in the middle of the night by the thousands of people, haul them off to a concentration camp where, by the way, there is no food there, no preparations for the people there. See, this is the way that it works disruptively from the inside and iteratively. The Italian state has had to Battle with those looking to get around the harsh restrictions, says the establishment press. Oh, poor people. You know, it's really tough being the hired guns for madmen, isn't it? Uh, that was not a quote from Associated Press or the New York Times or Washington Post. That was from Breitbart, who are big vaccine cheerleaders. As long as you don't mandate it, right? Now, they said they had to battle with those looking to get around the restrictions, Police have conducted nationwide raids in search of fake passes as the popularity of forgeries are soaring across Europe. And, of course, that's always going to be the case. When you have prohibitions that are ridiculous, people are going to find ways to get around them. But let me just say this. At this stage, I think that complying with this, even with a fake passport, is the wrong way to go. I've said I don't see anything morally wrong with a fake passport when they have the fake authority of the law, that they don't have the authority to do this. They have neither the legal nor the moral nor the ethical right to do any of this stuff. And so I have no moral issues with people who will, you know, fake it. But if you do it right now, what needs to be done is people need to stand up and not comply. Just as the listener who was in the military said, if you do that now, instead of trying to fake it, then... Um, 
you know, we, we could stop this thing if people would stand up. But when you comply that way, it only makes it worse. Save the fake passports for the point at which they're trying to put you in a prison camp or they're trying to starve you. Save it to escape. Don't use it for something casual like this. And don't use it to try to comply with these people. I mentioned earlier about uh, the uh, Consumer Electronics Show. Again, all of this stuff, it's all, everything in it is if you want to attend. Make sure you're fully vaccinated. Make sure you have your proof of vaccination. Uh, U.S.-based attendees will have to use the uh, Clear's free mobile app and their health pass feature. These are the people who have teamed with TSA in the past. And then even if you're fully vaccinated and everybody else is going to be there fully vaccinated, they know that the vaccine doesn't protect anybody. They know, as a matter of fact, that the vaccine harms their health. So you're going to have to test before you enter the CES venue, even after you've done all that. And it's going to have to be within 24 hours before you get into the consumer electronics show. And Canada, they're trying to make it as miserable as possible. As a matter of fact, Macron is bragging about the fact that he wants to piss off, that's what he said, France's unvaccinated. Let me see what I can do to make your life miserable. Well, we need to make these people miserable. But in French, uh, the French Canadians in Quebec have decided that they're going to ban the unvaccinated from being able to get booze and pot. Wait a minute. I thought that we'd tried alcohol prohibition and pot prohibition. Hadn't we didn't try that? How did that work out for us? Did that stop it? <laughs> it actually made it worse, and it gave us a rise of organized crime. And they didn't learn anything at all from it. And we're not learning any of these lessons either. We allow these people to continue to endlessly harass us. Maybe, you know, you could call up, uh, maybe Uber Eats is uh, going to get some... Uh, some of the moonshine drivers, you know, from down south, NASCAR land or something, right? That's how NASCAR began with moonshine drivers. Maybe they could hire some of these guys. Uh, maybe we could change their name to Uber Drinks and they could deliver it. You have um, uh, a professor, uh, head of Britain's vaccine policy, Professor Pollard, says we can't vaccinate the planet every six months, he says. <laughs> oh, really? Well, go talk to Bill Gates about that because he always had the uh, Immunization Agenda 2030. And uh, the slogan, and you can still see it there, IA 2030. Everyone, everywhere, every age vaccinated. And implied in that is with every vaccine. Okay? And at whatever frequency they demand. Yeah, he said, it just doesn't work. We just don't have the capability. Well, don't worry. You know, they'll ramp up the... Uh, the manufacturing capability. We'll be right back. I want to talk about uh, the new world orders that are rolling out around the world and how this police state is rolling out. We'll be right back. You're listening to The David Knight Show. In Canada, you have a doctor who has practiced for 50 years losing her medical license because she gave people exemptions to an experimental, untested drug. That's where we are now. Absolutely amazing. And she's not the only physician. There's uh, another three or four physicians who are working with her. She had some choice things to say, as a matter of fact, very defiant. She would not turn over to this licensing agency the private 
records of these people that she'd given a medical exemption to. This is a big part of what was happening in California in uh, the spring of 2019 when Trump said, ah, they got to get the shots. Yeah, got to get the MMR shots. He was supporting what was being done in California, what was being done in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, where they were saying, we're going to take away your medical exemptions. We're going to take away your religious exemptions. We don't care if you're a private religious school. You will vaccinate your kids with the MMR. Trump says, ah, they got to get the shots. What can I say? Uh -uh, you know, so. That's uh, exactly what that was about. And in California, what they were doing was they were using it to attack the doctors who would give people medical exemptions. So that is what is happening uh, in Canada. Uh, she said um, uh, she took issue, uh, or rather they took issue with this doctor calling it a gene therapy experiment as opposed to a vaccination. Well, she's right. Uh, they also claimed that this doctor requested for them to, quote, advise me if you know the ingredients of the gene therapy experiments. I didn't play it for you because the it was a kind of a, the, the person who was recording the video was trying to do it without drawing attention to it. But she went to a pharmacy and she said, you know, I, I want to get my vaccine today. Oh, yeah, we can do that. But I have a question for the pharmacist. Could you get the pharmacist for me, please? There's a pharmacist there. She says, um, could you, I, I want to get the vaccine today, but could you show me the insert? And goes, oh, I haven't had anybody ask me about that. Oh, yeah, let me see if I can get that for you. And he comes back and goes, it's blank. There's nothing here. I, I shouldn't be giving this thing out, is what he said. You're not allowed to know the ingredients of an experimental gene therapy. Think about that. And if you question that as a doctor, they want to take your license. Anybody who is ethical, anybody who's intellectually honest, the system wants to purge. You think about that. So uh, <laughs> the uh, nurses with COVID are now being called into work because of staff shortages in New South Wales. Now, this is not official policy, but there have been a lot of whistleblowers who have contacted the media. This is a story from Rebel News. They're saying that the hospital is desperate now. Consider the fact that we're told we had to flatten the curve. What is the curve? It goes back to 1840, Farr's Law. Farr noticed that regardless of what you're talking about, we're talking about diphtheria or smallpox, regardless of how, you know, whatever a, uh, a, a disease is, when it hits a population, the people who are elderly, who have comorbidities or whatever, or have a weakened immune system, they're going to be the ones who are going to hit it first. And so you're going to see a bell-shaped curve. It's going to go up very rapidly, and then as it starts to get around the population, people who have an immune system, they'll be able to handle it. They will start to, um, you know, to be able to respond to that. And then as they start to get, uh, as that starts to happen, as people start blocking it, you'll see that bell shape go up, it'll flatten, and then it'll come down again. It's always a bell-shaped curve. It doesn't matter. And that's a law that's been there since 1840. That's why when they said, yeah, we've got to flatten the curve, that's what they were talking about. One epidemiologist said, why would you want to flatten the curve? Why would you want to prolong this? Well, we've got to save the hospital from being overwhelmed, they said. And yet, here we are, after two years, they've decided that they're not worried about the hospitals being flattened anymore. So they're firing nurses left and right who have worked throughout this entire uh, thing and have seen people sick with covid sick with the vaccines, and their judgment is, because they've been there, they said, I don't want to have anything to do with this. All right, so you're fired. Now they're at the point where they can't 
keep the hospital going. So what's their reaction now? Well, they're calling in nurses who are actually sick to work on people. Now, we're told that you've got to get these people who are unvaccinated out because they're the people who are getting sick and they're the people who are spreading it. And yet you're going to call in vaccinated nurses who the vaccine did not protect them. And they're sick and symptomatic, which means that they are contagious with whatever they've got, whether it's a cold or whether it's something else. And you're going to call them in to work. None, every aspect of this has been a lie. Yeah, Scott Adams, show me one place where the government has lied to us, except about masks. I can show you everywhere that the government has lied. Every aspect of this has been and continues to be a lie. So we're going to kick you out if you're not vaccinated, but if you're vaccinated and sick, you can come in and mess around with the, the patients. Why? Because we don't want to be put out of business. It's just about the money. Recalling COVID positive nurses to work remains a breach of the New South Wales state health protocols. Allegedly, uh, these requests are made via private memos not an official directive. Of course, they wouldn't want to put that out. Hospitals are not happy about being forced to, hospital workers in the system are complaining about this to the press because they don't want to work alongside people who are actually sick. But they don't care. It's not about the illness. It's about politics. It's about power. It's about money. I had a listener who sent this. I talked about that nurse who recovered from COVID-19 coma after getting Viagra. And uh, this reader says, well, this is kind of interesting, isn't it? Two points she had to make. First of all, she said, um, it's baffling. You have a, a nurse, very obese, asthmatic, double jabbed. She tests positive for COVID. She goes into a coma for 28 days. 72 hours before they're about to pull the plug, her coworkers decide they'll try Viagra. I have to wonder if they didn't know her personally, and if she wasn't a nurse, would they have administered Viagra or would they just pull the plug? It's not what you know, but who you know, right? That's a, that's a very important point. Because this is an off-label use, off use of Viagra. This is what everybody is freaking out about with ivermectin. They know what the safety pro profile is for Viagra. They know what the safety profile is for ivermectin. question is, will it work? What these nurses reasoned was, they said, well, you know, we know that Viagra dilates blood vessels and that's what I think she needs. So let's give that a try. So she survives because, you know, she's a nurse and she gets to get uh, off-label treatments without, you know, would these same nurses have given somebody who was in her position, would these same nurses have allowed somebody to take ivermectin? We've seen over and over again when even a judge demands that they do it, they refuse to do it. So that's an important point. A good, good uh, find there from Don. And um, he says, now, what has she done after she recovered? She is urging people to get the vaccine. <laughs> the vaccine that didn't protect her. Uh, so, yeah, that's right. He says, by the way, my religious exemption was approved. But it won't mean much as SCOTUS votes for tyranny on January the 7th. I will not submit to being tested forever. Let's take a quick look. We've got a little bit of time left as, as far as the New World Orders that are happening. Despite the Omicron risk, we're told, TSA is still requiring travelers to remove their masks at airport checkpoints. Oh, no, this is coming out from The Intercept, and they're very upset. They believe in the mask. The mask will protect you, they think. Well, if the mask is going to protect you, then why would the TSA make you take your mask down to show them your face? <laughs> 
Why would they bunch you all up without any social distancing to do this kind of stuff? Yeah, it's not about that. Oh, by the way, in case you didn't notice Intercept, the TSA isn't about airplane safety either. They have failed. You want to talk about testing people? You know, they have failed every test that everybody's done. Reportedly, although they won't make the figures public, you know, it's uh, well up into the high 80s, low 90s that they fail whenever somebody tries to slip something past them. They always do. And if you're worried about terrorist events, uh, you might want to think about the sanity of massing everybody together in one spot. Uh, DeSantis asked about AOC being maskless at a crowded Florida bar, and he had this to say. He says, oh, I had a dollar for every lockdown politician who decided to escape to Florida over the last two years. I'd be a pretty doggone wealthy man, let me tell you. But he said, Congress people, mayors, governors, I mean, you name it. It's interesting, though, the reception some of these folks will get in Florida, because I think a lot of Floridians are saying, wait a minute, you're bashing us because we're not doing your draconian policies yet? We're the first place you want to flee to, basically to enjoy life. And so I'm not surprised, he said, to see that continue to happen. I could tell you there are probably a half dozen governors who had restrictions uh, on their people and then were spotted at various points in Florida. Some of it's been public. Some of it's not been public. But, you know, people tell me these things. And so these things are spotted. I'm happy, though, that Florida is a place where people know that they can come. They can live like normal people that they can make their own decisions. Uh, you know, I said from the very beginning, and, and again, I went back, and this is, this is a quote from the Monday show, March the 16th, 2020, the Monday after Fauci and his puppet Trump declared the national state of emergency. And, of course, it kicked off right away. You had the governors who had the money that was given to them by this, uh, California and New York are the first ones, and they started locking everything down. And this is what I had to say on that Monday, March the 16th, 2020. There may be a lot more to this than meets the eye. I think that this is really more about the economics and the politics and the liberty issues than it is about the disease. And even if there is a disease, even if it is a weaponized disease at the center of it, you better make it about freedom first. And understand how your freedom is under attack, economically, politically, and all of this. That is their agenda. That's right. That was the agenda. It's always been about liberty. DeSantis says, uh, uh, this is nothing but hysteria. And then the Daily Beast trolls him and say, and he's doing that as Florida is shattering COVID records with Omicron. So what? So what? We keep hearing that Omicron is going to get you, right? And yet, there's nothing to it. They're even telling us that. Omicron, this is the Tennessean, a mainstream media uh, thing out of Tennessee. So Omicron overtakes Tennessee. One out of every three tests is positive. Well, you know, you're getting this surge because you got Biden sending out tests to everybody. <coughs> they're testing everybody. And um, uh, so they're getting a surge because they're getting a surge of testing. People aren't sick with this. Governor Lee complains the Tennessean, said he will not at this time considering reinstating Tennessee's state of emergency. <coughs> he says an emergency declaration is a tool that we should only use when we have to. You hear that, Trump? 
Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> city and county mayors can only issue mask mandates, complains the Tennessean, uh, requiring face coverings either in government buildings or in a community at large under specific circumstances, and they need to have a state of emergency. See, the state of emergency that Trump did unleashed these tyrants, and they financially incentivized them to do this stuff. Uh, so they said the um, uh, state of emergency has to be in place. And in order for that, the county needs to exceed an infection threshold of 1,000 new infections for every 100,000 residents over the past 14 days. They don't have to be sick. They don't have to be in the hospital. They don't have to be die. They just have to, you know, have a positive test. That's why Biden and these people are flooding the country with tests. And they did that under Trump as well. I complained about it under Trump. And why are they sending out all these tests to everybody? They're, they're, going to, they're doing it to create a narrative. They said, while that threshold once seemed to be high, it looks like now it is woefully reachable with Omicron. Oh, yeah, just do more tests. And you see all this happening from the mainstream media. Oh, no, the U.S. has reported a million COVID cases a day. It's a new global record. Well, it's because you've got panic buying of COVID tests and because Biden is mailing them out to everyone. You even have the New York governor, Hochul, admitting that COVID hospitalizations are overcounted. You have Fauci saying a lot of the people who are kids who are coming in, they're coming in for something else and they're getting a positive COVID test. And why are they pulling this thing back? Because they have to do it gradually. They have to take a couple of steps forward and then come back. So they're using this to continue to lock down schools and workplaces. Uh, the when they talk about the Omicron epidemic, tell me that they're sequencing the DNA to know that this is Omicron. They don't. It's just circular logic. This story from the UK, from the dailyskeptic.org. Lockdowns aren't a public health policy. They are a failure of public health policy. I also said this on that Monday, March the 16th, 2020, about lockdown as it was being rolled out for the first time over that weekend. Welcome to the smart cities of 2030, about 10 years early. Now, I don't think that they will go for this all at once right now. This is a preparatory stage. We're being psychologically prepared for what they want to have in place by 2030. They're not going to impose this uh, completely and finally. They will lift it at some point. But at that point, you will be psychologically altered in a kind of Stockholm syndrome. You will see your, your uh, prison guards as your saviors. You'll see the government that has terrorized you as your protector. You will even, as we see now, the, the cognitive dissonance I just can't understand. We've got so many people are, are sending me stuff telling me, well, we gotta, we got to act uh, preemptively on it, sounding just like Newt Gingrich and Fauci and Collins and these other people. We got to do more. We got to do it right now. The government's got to shut everything down. It's like, you're telling me that you're afraid of this because you believe this is an engineered, a bioengineered virus. And yet, why the hell aren't you calling for the government to shut down their bio labs? No, no, no. Shut down the country, not the bio labs that have created these weapons of destruction for decades. And I've been talking about this for years. These people aren't talking about that. No, no, let's shut down the U.S. We got to have the government protect us. The same government that they think created a virus. 
bioengineered a virus. This is the insanity that's even infected the patriot movement. Yeah. And I was talking about people I worked with. And I was talking about commentators that they were bringing in, people like Francis Boyle, who for years we've been on the same page. And I said, we got to stop this bio weapon. And yet Francis Boyle was pushing the panic button as hard as he could. Alex even had me on with Francis Boyle. And every time Francis Boyle would come in to, you know, to contradict what I had to say, well, with all due respect, we've got to lock this. This is very dangerous. And I think, no, you lock them down. You lock down their bioweapons. But you better understand that this has always been about the lockdown. It has always been about the smart cities. And that's what this guy said out of the U.K., he said, I had people, he said, there was a distinctive moment at the beginning of this. He says, I was at number 10 Downing Street, a briefing in March. They said, everyone is at risk. This virus does not discriminate. This guy's an epidemiologist. He goes, oh, no, nothing could be further from the truth. He says, uh, people over 75 have an astonishing 10,000 times more risk than those who are under 15. Until you vaccinate them. And then they're getting heart attacks left and right under 50. Thanks for listening. That's it for the broadcast. Today. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com. 